There is no better place. It's time to talk. The only way to get into Dublin Cork is to go on to the Neil Prenderville. There you go. Fair play. Talk to Neil Prenderville. That's a Cork threat at this stage, I think. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. I just love Cork people. Conversation that matters. Coming up at nine minutes after nine, Mick Mulcahy and for Neil Prenderville, who returns next Monday. Uh, fresh storm warning issued for the country is the big headline of the Echo today. Uh, Met Aaron has issued a status yellow wind warning for Cork with storm Jocelyn expected to bring uh, very strong and gusty southwest to west winds today. The arrival of the storm comes hot on the heels of Storm Isha at the weekend, which left thousands of people across Ireland without power. ESP networks are scrambling to get uh, the more than 235,000 homes, farms and businesses across the country uh, who are without power uh, back on the grid. That's down to about 70,000 people now, I think. But the company said while they expected to restore power to a significant amount of customers across yesterday, the warn, they warned the full restoration of electricity to premises may take a number of days and is not going to be helped by this uh, fresh storm which is uh, tracking to the northwest of Ireland and causing some very strong winds, especially uh, towards the north and west of the country. But its effects are being felt here as well. Protest at refuge site is the main headline in the Echo Today. Ennis Moore may house Ukrainians. Amy Campbell reporting a protest began in Mayfield last night following confirmation that the site is being considered as accommodation for Ukrainian refugees. Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central Thomas Gould received confirmation that the Ukraine Crisis Temporary Accommodation Team is at advanced stages of discussions around using the former Ennismore Retreat Centre to house refugees. There were more than 100 people in attendance last night, looked like more actually, and some of those there said they were concerned for the safety of their children and suggested that the building should be used to house Irish homeless people, saying, we don't know who these people moving in here are. We should be looking after our own homeless first. And they told the Echo, we're not racist, just concerned parents. Uh, Also said, we don't have a problem with immigrants. Our problem is with the government. That's the main headline in the uh, Echo today. Sinn Féin TD blasts lack of clarity on uh, refugee housing uh, is the continuing headline and the continuing story by Amy Campbell. Uh, uh, as you go to um, Inside the Echo, continued from page one. The situation is a shocking indictment of the government's complete failure to manage the constraints in accommodation for those seeking protection. They are causing confusion and anger in local communities by failing to give clear, correct information when asked. Uh, so that's uh, Thomas Gould, who we ha- we've had on the programme, uh, and no doubt will have lots to say on it again in the near future. The Mirror has 20% of tourism beds allocated to refugees. The sector is over-reliant on hotels and B&Bs to house asylum seekers. Uh, the state is over-reliant on uh, tourist accommodation and is using 20% of available beds across the country for refugees and asylum seekers, the industry has claimed. It's been suggested the use of hotels, B&Bs and other types of tourism dwellings is costing the sector around 1.1 billion euro. Uh, The government has been using hotel beds for Ukrainian refugees and asylum seekers over the past number of years as part of its emergency response to the growing number of arrivals. And Elena Fitzgerald-Kane, the chairperson of the Irish Tourism Industry Confederation, told RTE that the government is over-reliant on her members' resources to house refugees. Some uh, interesting stuff about legislation 
being uh, suggested or put forth in the Doyle today uh, to allow those who are applying for a medical card to uh, rent a room now for up to €1,200 a month without affecting uh, the income element of their application. So we'll follow that one as it goes to the Doyle. The Mirror front page has Bailey is our only suspect. Garda file being sent to the DPP. Ian Bailey was the only suspect a Garda cold case review team had for Sophie Toscan de Plantier's murder. Officers are still preparing to send a file against him uh, to the DPP over the killing in December 1996, uh, despite his death from a suspected heart attack on Sunday. And a source said there are no other prime suspects. And uh, the Sun also picks up uh, on the Ian Bailey story. A violent man. Bombshell secret reports uh, claim narcissistic Ian Bailey had sexual inclination and most likely killed Sophie, says the Irish Sun. Ian Bailey was a man with narcissistic and megalomaniac traits and a sexual inclination who most likely killed Sophie Toscan de Plantier. A bombshell never-before-seen report from France found. The document drawn up by renowned criminal psychologist Dr. Florent Gatheria uh, ahead of Bailey's 2019 French trial said that innocent Sophie was afraid of nothing and could be oblivious to danger. She was found murdered, of course, outside her West Cork home near Skull on the morning of 23rd of December 1996. Uh, Bailey was found guilty, not here, uh, but found guilty of the brutal killing by a French court in absentia in 2019. And Sophie's family have always been convinced that he murdered Sophie and were uh, successful in getting him criminally convicted in France. However, no charges were preferred here, uh, uh, even though he was arrested twice, never legally charged here. Debenhams, the examiner reporting the new owner of uh, the Cork Debenhams store to progress plans for a hotel development. Uh, it's yesterday's Irish examiner, actually. Um, but it is making the news and making some of the other papers. Uh, but this is the story concisely. Intersport Elveries are the owners now of the former Debenham store in Cork City Centre. They've scooped up another three properties on Mailer Street as part of a plan to develop a hotel and other accommodation facilities in the heart of Cork City. The acquisition of 38 to 40 Mailer Street, in addition to the city's iconic store, which it bought last May, is being hailed as a pivotal step in helping restore the city centre's fortunes. The deal was done off-market and the price was not disclosed. The properties were due to go to market for in excess of £1.5 million. But a spokesperson for Intersport, Elvery, said the group's latest purchase will breathe new life into previously vacant space in the heart of uh, the city. Big, big hotel on Patrick Street? Wouldn't be too bad, would it? Uh, keep Sophie Case alive. Uh, son, Ian was, uh, son says Ian was a liar and family DNA hope. Other headlines there. Uh, the Sophie Tuscan, the Plantier murder case, must be kept open. Her family have insisted. Uh, despite the death of the key suspect. Pierre-Louis Baudley-Vignon said, uh, who was her son, always avoided telling the truth. Uh, Bailey always avoided telling the truth, he said. And uh, the story continues in the papers, not least in The Sun. Uh, Councillors in Cork sad over Bailey's death. Cork County Council members told of their sadness following the death of the chief suspect in the 1996 murder of Sophie Toscan du Plantier yesterday. Independent councillor for Carrigaline, Marcia Dalton, yesterday said she felt it was appropriate at the chamber remark on the death of the 66-year-old. She said there was never enough evidence to prove Ian Bailey's guilt in the murder of Sophie, yet he lived 30 years of his life under that shadow of guilt. And we'll speak to Marcia very shortly. Crash attack hero gets out of hospital 
Um, a crash attack hero, Leanne Flynn Kyo, is now out of hospital. It's emerged she's discharged before Christmas. The Irish Mirror confirmed she left the Matter Hospital in central Dublin just before Christmas. Miss Flynn Kyo and three children suffered injuries in uh, a knife attack. Supermarkets and pharmacies have to accept cash payments under new law. Grocery shops and pharmacies will have to accept cash as part of a new plan to keep physical money in the economy. Supermarkets, convenience stores and pharmacies will have to take cash under new law changes resulting from public consultation of the National Payment Strategy, which is currently underway. Uh, warm tributes have been paid as uh, the President uh, and Taoiseach have led these tributes to Senator David Norris as he formally announced his retirement from political life after 36 years, just touching his 80th birthday. And 82% want an end to toxic recommender algorithms. We might cover this in some detail uh, between now and Friday, but some 82% of Irish people want an end to social media companies building up dossiers of users' sexual desires and political and religious views, which they do uh, to direct content into their feeds According to a new survey, the 82% want big tech's algorithms switched off. Um, An ICCL senior fellow, Johnny Ryan, said social media was supposed to bring us together. Instead, it tears us apart. And hopefully more on that uh, as we progress with the programme through the week. And uh, we're back in a moment with our phone lines uh, and our first call of the day, 18 minutes past nine now. Text or WhatsApp Neil now, 0868-104-106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Good morning on Tuesday, the 23rd of January. I'm joined on the line by Councillor Marcia Dalton, Independent. Uh, morning, Marcia. Good morning, Mick. Uh, are you officially just, uh, is your official title Carrigaline Councillor? I, I know it extends to a greater area. Uh, it's the Carrigaline Municipal Municipal District, area, so okay. Would, yeah, okay. Yeah. So yesterday you proposed a letter of condolence. It was seconded by Councillor Frank Roach uh, on the passing of uh, Ian Bailey. Why? I, I actually didn't propose a letter of condolence. We have an agenda item, as I presume other local authorities do at their full meetings, which is entitled to votes of condolence. And what I asked the chamber to do, because I didn't want a vote of condolence, I asked that we would remark on the passing of Ian Bailey. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know um, Ian Bailey, RP, and I have never met him, and I wouldn't even know where to forward a vote of condolence to. But that wasn't what I had asked the chamber to do. I thought it appropriate that we would remark on his passing. Um, okay, this, you know, this, is, this is hugely yeah. different from a book of condolence, which would be left open for, for, for people to sign. So there's, is there such yeah. a, a thing as a letter of condolence that you'll all sign? Yeah. And, and that's separate yeah, to a so, vote of so, condolence, is it? Totally. So they're all different things. So a book of condolence would be something which, say, the council would own, would open um, and typically leave in the foyer where everybody can um, access it. And it would be in the case of somebody who was perhaps very well remarked, you know, very well known, something that was particularly tragic. So that would not be a normal thing. That's an extra special thing. Extra special. Then uh, would, of, wouldn't, wouldn't you say what was, what was tragic was the bludgeoning to death with a concrete block of... Sophie Toscan de Blanche. No, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I think you misunderstand me, Mick. Um, I'm trying to explain to you the okay. difference between the types of sorrow that would be expressed under that agenda item. And I'm saying to you that sometimes the council opens a book of condolence if somebody very noteworthy passes in a very tragic way 
or if it's somebody who's done something remarkable, which would be very well known. That would not be a normal thing. The other type of condolence that can be marked on under that agenda item is if somebody associated with the county council passes away or somebody related to somebody associated with the council passes away. So I didn't ask for either of those things, nor was either of those things suggested. What I asked that we would do would be to remark on the passing of this man. I didn't ask for any letter of condolence okay. or book of condolence or vote of condolence. I asked that we would remark on his passing. And there's a huge difference in that because I don't have a condolence. I asked that we would remark on his passing. And the reason I did that was because I grew up in a time when the horrific murder of that beautiful woman was a flagship tragedy. It was a big deal. It was 1996. I was born in 71. So I was of that age where I was very aware of the enormity of that tragedy at that time. And I am also very aware, now that I am a much older person, that we have a fundamental tenet in our constitution and in our criminal justice system of innocent until proven guilty. And I am equally aware that when it was brought to court, the director of public prosecution said the investigation at that time had been prejudicial. Now, I know nothing about this case, let me be very clear, other than what I have read in the media. Any more than most people, let's be honest. But what I do know is that trial by community is cruel. And if there was any suggestion that the state had been responsible in any way for trial by community, then that was something I felt appropriate we would remark on. I don't know who killed that beautiful woman, Sophie, and I don't know if we will ever find out who did. But all I do know is... If the state has some responsibility in a prejudicial investigation, which I wouldn't know of, but the DPP said it was, well then... Two, the two different DPPs. responsibility for that. Yeah, it was, two, it was two different DPPs. They were sequential, and there was obviously a handing on of files from one to his successor. Uh, but both said uh, there's not enough evidence, at least to stand up in a court of law, uh, to prove Ian Bailey's guilt in the murder of Sophie. That would suggest that the evidence was circumstantial at best. So that was all I was referring to. I don't know this man. I have never met this man. He doesn't sound like a nice individual. He, I understand, abused his partner of that time. And there is never an excuse for that. And I didn't even intend, I didn't even, it didn't even occur to me that this would be something that would be remarked on by other people. Typically, if, you know, that, that section of the agenda in council is not something that's remarked on by the public. But I feel very strongly that innocent until proven guilty is something that's a really important and fundamental part of how we govern society. Otherwise, where are we at, Nick? Like, we're judging each other. And we know the tragedy and the sorrow that leads to too. And that's not right either. Okay, and Mm -hmm. and, and there were other names mentioned, uh, people who passed away over the weekend. One was Tom Hussey, the former government minister. The other, uh, the lovely Kitty Jeffrey from Cloyne, who was Ireland's oldest woman when she passed away last week at the age of 109. So they went into that section. 
Yes, and there would be a proper vote of, of, of condolence sent to their family. So it would, if you were the family receiving it, you'd have a letter saying, Cork County Council on the proposal of whatever councillor proposed it passed a vote of condolence on the passing of the loved one, you know? Uh, and that, that's a lovely thing for the family. Sure, and, and what would remain in the minutes then or on the record for perpetuity as regards Ian Bailey? Exactly what I said, I would yeah. imagine. I won't know, obviously, till I see them at the next full council meeting. And if they're incorrectly noted, then I assure you, I will be the first to make sure that they're correctly noted. But it's not a vote of condolence, Mick, let me yeah. reassure you of that. It's a remarking on the passing for that particular reason that I've just explained. Okay. Um, no th- more. Of course, there are those who would ask, why remark on the passing at all? Perhaps I... Someone of my age, I don't know, is acutely aware of the sorrow that was around that, the the enormity of that. Of, at that time, that lady was was murdered just coming up to Christmas, which made it even bigger. It, it would have been a tragedy at any time of the year, but at that time of the year, it seemed especially so. And the story lived on. She never got justice, and the story lived on. And even, I look again, I don't know, but even when I go to West Cork, I think of her. And that's not an exaggeration. I think of her because nobody, nobody was ever found. Um, and why was it? Why was it necessary to remark on it? It wasn't necessary. But I was so struck by the innocent until proven guilty and the torture that some people can live their lives out under because of shame. That we are an arm of the state in Cork County Council, and. Whilst we may appear removed from it, we do need to take responsibility for being an arm of the state. I'll be honest with you, I, I've been called a disgrace. I've been called all sorts of things that I never and ever anticipated. I think largely because of Ian Bailey's um, charging with, the, with domestic abuse. And again, if one is charged of one crime, it uh, cannot are you, be Are you talking about the last 24 hours, Marcia, or what? Oh yeah, oh yeah, I am. There was a there was a response to my remarking on his passing online, which truthfully I had hundred percent no anticipation of. Mm. Um, and if if people misassociated my remarks, and that caused them hurt, then I do truly regret that. Yeah. But I will never regret standing up for innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, there, may, there, there may have been some muddying of the waters, you know, the, you know, the Chinese I whisper. There uh, often is. There uh, often uh, is. Uh, I, as regards your intentions, your actions, and what actually happened. Yeah. Sure. What there, was, there what often was portrayed. Is. I'm long enough in the tooth to know that most people intend good most of the time, but when things are reported on, sometimes, as you correctly say, there is muddying of the waters or it's not interpreted right. But there is also an awful lot of judgment. I have had people ring me and text me, and those are things that the wider community won't see, to say thank you for standing up for that 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 tenet of of innocent until proven guilty, not to judge, because we we are a very judgmental society, Mick, and that can bring huge hurt on others. Mm. Uh, apparently, a, f- a fresh file is on the way to the DPP for for his consideration, but you're you're underwriting really the fundamental principles of criminal law by saying uh, we all enjoy and live under a constitutional guarantee uh, of innocence until proven guilty 
Uh, and that's what you were recognising, that someone who is as yet, or as still, legally innocent may yet be proven guilty, don't know. But as yet Absolutely. innocent has, has, has passed away. And, and thanks for explaining the difference between letter of condolence, vote of condolence, whatever, book of condolence. So it's, it's, no, just, it's just a remark. Uh, have you, have you, 100%. So you've taken, a lot yeah. of, you've taken a lot of stick for it, have you? Online, yes. Twitter has been um, unpleasant, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm not programmed that way, Mick, and I, I saw the you're a disgrace coming in repeatedly and, and, and I turned that off. I just Because that wasn't the intention. I understand. Um, I don't understand, actually, because I was there. And, and as a councillor, I try to see nuance. I have the, um, the privilege, really, of being brought into people's lives and that enables me to see nuance, perhaps in a way that online doesn't always interpret. Um, but I tell you one thing, Mick, and a, a reporter rang me yesterday and said, look, I'm seeing what's coming in online and I thought you deserved a call. This typically wouldn't be the place that you would find yourself. Um, and he said, you know, with the associations of domestic abuse with this person, would you feel that it was inappropriate that you remarked on what you remarked on? And I said, well, I don't actually, for a number of reasons. Um, there is never, ever an excuse for domestic violence. Sure, either sure because there's, there's a danger here uh, that the murder of Sophie Tuscan de Planty, as brutal as it was, and the fact that justice has never been done for her, and that Ian Bailey was never, in Ireland at least, charged with with that crime that that could overshadow the fact uh, in its enormity in the press it's it's all it's all Sophie and the life she might have had etc it's an enormous topic compared uh, and I I don't mean this uh, I don't mean to compare them in any way other than coverage uh, compared to the fact that we're dealing here with someone who was convicted given a suspended sentence of domestic abuse and and that's why we ask why remark about him at all. Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to give you a really simple example. If, for example, there's a child bullying another in a classroom, now forgive the, the, the simplicity of this example, right? But if there's a child bullying another in the classroom and, and it's reported and that child who was bullying is pulled aside and the child admits it and says they won't do it again and there's another case of bullying in the classroom, it might not have been that child who had admitted it and was held responsible for it. Who did that? But the perpetrator of the second um, offence, if you want to use that word, would go unpunished, unnoted and unpunished. And that's wrong too. So okay. it's, very, it's very dangerous to assume by association. It's a natural thing, but one would have hoped that our justice system was sufficiently shrewd and adept to understand that one can't naturally assume that having one done done one thing makes you guilty of something else. Yeah, Frank, Frank Bottomer was, was at pains yesterday to describe to me, uh, you, you know, to, to be eloquent, as Frank always is, about the fact that just because you're convicted of domestic abuse doesn't make you a murderer. But the converse of that is, uh, even if you're not a murderer, even if you are innocent, you were convicted of, of uh, domestic abuse. And that's why Absolutely. that's why I'm asking why, why the remark in in you know the public chambers or or at a big meeting, uh, you know where where people like Kitty Jeffrey, uh, Ireland's oldest woman, and Tom Hussey, a government minister, died. Um, I, I, we're just wondering why, why why did in that situation Bailey warrant a mention? Because I was so strongly 
there's no association between one and the other, you know, in a vote of condolence or in that section and the agenda. There's, there's a whole list of people who, who will never have known each other. And you're absolutely right. They're beautiful people called out, which is why we do it. Mm. But there's no other appropriate place, potentially, other than under AOB, any other business. And we had a big, long agenda. And it seemed to me to be the right place to do it. I assure you, if it had been inappropriate in terms of placing, I'm quite sure the mayor would have pulled me up on it and said, you know, don't bring that up here, bring it up somewhere else. Yeah. Um, okay. And that was my judgment at that time. But might I add, Nick, when somebody is represented by a, a, a public representative, such as myself, I know that if, if I were represented by a public representative, I would prefer that they would have the courage to speak if they felt something needed to be said, even if it's difficult. And I can assure you that in that council chamber, the easiest thing is not to say something. And that cannot always be the right thing. Sometimes that's wrong for society, it's wrong for justice, it's wrong for people, it's wrong for the country. It doesn't do them justice. And I would prefer that my public representative, if he or she felt that a fundamental tenet of our constitution needed to be remembered, then I prefer that they said it, even if it was difficult. Mm. Uh, you know, he has a certain level of notoriety. But he's still under an active, uh, an active investigation, and that's why. Well, that's why we invited you on. I'm not trying to entrap you. I know you. I know your heart's in the right place. I know you're an incredible public servant. Uh, so, okay, we'll move on. Th- thanks for making your position clear, Marcia. And as always, nice to talk to you. Thank you, Mick. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. 20 to 10. Good morning from the Neil Pendleton Show. June Murphy is on line two. Good morning, June. You're from Yana. You've been listening to the previous conversation. Tell me first about Yana and what it is. Um, well, first of all, I would I would uh, just make a slight correction there. Um, I'm actually a former employee of Yana. Okay. I'm out sick at the moment. But... Um, yeah, so I would have worked with, with uh, the domestic violence organisation for a number of years. Um, and I would also have been someone who lived through um, their own domestic violence situation as well and served as a county councillor um, alongside Maria, Marcia, sorry, um, for a number of years and actually would have had, would have great respect for for Marcia, you know. She's um she's an excellent counsellor, um, you know, so I, I want to say that first and foremost, you know. As as I said myself at the end, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um so I suppose, you know, what we're talking about here this morning, I suppose a lot of people were quite shocked, um when they heard that this was brought up in Cork County Council at a chamber meeting but um, I suppose the crux of this really is was it appropriate to um, you know whatever way you want to put it make a remark or you know um, myself personally um, as a former councillor, I I was quite shocked when I heard it. Um, and as someone who has worked in domestic violence 
I was I was quite sickened and I would imagine I'm not the only one who feels like that. Um, I've seen the debates online um, getting into the whole context of what Marcia was talking about. You know, everyone has their own opinion on it. But, you know, from my understanding that um, when someone is remarked upon or, uh, um, you know, a letter of condolence or whatever it may be, that the person that's mentioned is somebody who has, you know, made remarkable contributions um, maybe within the community and sport, journalism, education, whatever it may be, or people of, you know, who have dedicated their whole lives to, um, you know, just doing charitable work and so forth. So to hear that they're... Well, yeah, but that, 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 that would warrant a vote of confidence uh, or, you know, in, in a situation where they have, you know, where they've been considered to contribute enormously to society, possibly a book of condolence. Yeah. But Marcy was very clear yeah. as, as to this is, this was the lowest level of that, that it would just be mentioned. But can, can, can I ask I, you one, I, one, one I, question before we know, continue? If, if, if the, in the absence of the, um, the guilty of domestic abuse situation, if, if that had not been attached to Ian Bailey's character, if he was just the not charged uh, chief suspect in the Sophie Tuscan the Plantier murder, would it have been appropriate then for mention? For, for me, personally, I don't think it is because it's still an active investigation. So, you know, normally, you know, you wouldn't go near something like that. Um, and as, as a county councillor, you, you are the voice of the people within your community. Um, I don't know how the people of West Cork feel about this. And, um, you know, for me, I suppose if any remark was to be made, um, maybe it should have been more directed towards Sophie's family. Um, but, you know, it's just... I just feel it, it should never have been brought up. And maybe hindsight um, here... Uh, would be a good thing but you know I'm sure the intention was very good and I'm sure there's probably people out there who agree with her and that's fair enough but you know having discussed this with a number of people yesterday uh, you know within the organisations that I would have worked in um, were just quite shocked by it and you know so it's kind of you have to look at it as another way of so like, you know, what kind of precedence does this um, present? Um, you know, so it, uh, honestly, I really feel that it should never have been brought up in the first place. And I'm sure that it was a very uncomfortable moment within chambers. I can, I can actually nearly visualise it. Um, it's just you know, I think it's unfortunate that it was ever yeah. mentioned. All, all we can do is imagine if it was uncomfortable or not in, in, in chamber. But for a man who courted media yeah. attention all of his adult life, all of his Absolutely. time in Ireland, he, he, he might have a wry smile today yeah, that we're, we're still talking about him today because of this. 
Yeah, well, he 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 was, you know, he was a narcissist. He enjoyed the attention as much as he would say that that you know his life was ruined by it. He he very much courted the press, and um, you know he would ring up radio stations. He would leave his number with journalists to call him. So you know he you know he as, as far as I know, I think he made money out of out of Sophia's death and. You know, there's a lot of questions there um, about that um, as to the kind of man he was and what he was like um, down in West Cork. I have no idea. Um, I can only go by what what I have read and comments I've seen by people in West Cork. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it just, for me personally, um, maybe this comes down to a moral um you know, kind of thing, but you know, for me, it just it just wasn't appropriate for for a county council meeting, and um, and that would be the crux of it, really. You know, and um, it's it's I would just hate to. I know that Sophie's family is probably going to see this and hear this, and um, and may not understand that it was the lowest level but even at the lowest level I feel it was highly inappropriate but I feel bad for her I feel bad for her family you know I, I just you know it was just not the right right place not the right time especially um, and also remembering that an active investigation is going on as well okay. never mind the, the, the type of individual that he was in a personal capacity Okay, um, you, you said to our production team at one stage that Marcy's justification of the proposal is revolting. Have you changed your mind now? Do you think she adequately explained uh, that she was just championing the innocent until proven guilty tenet? Well, to be quite honest, I was revolted when I heard it. Um, I, I personally still think it's it's... Yeah, I'm quite sickened by it, actually. I just think it should never have... It should never have been mentioned, to be quite honest. And I, like, it's hard for me to say that because I know her um, from working with her and I know how honourable she is and it's it's got nothing to do with her as an individual. I just feel that there's a time and a place for certain things and, you know, um, this certainly wasn't the time and a place. Um, And I think... You know, when it comes to, I suppose, individuals in cases like that, um, it should never be brought up in council, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I'd like to talk to you, if if, if I might, uh, about your own experience uh, with domestic violence and, and kind of draw a line under uh, what's happened over the last few days and, uh, and the whole Ian Bailey case, because they're two completely separate issues and I don't want to muddy the waters with uh, yeah. anything that might be said. So will, will you stay with me for a few moments? Yeah. Back to you in a minute. Thank you. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. And a very good morning. We're back with uh, June Murphy. And I'd like to impose on your expertise, if I could, June, uh, about the good work that Yana is doing and maybe a little bit about your own personal experience uh, in, yeah. in the domestic violence area. Yeah, sure. Sure. No problem at all. Ask away and I'll, uh, I'll try and oblige. Okay, Yana is the North Cork Domestic Violence Project, uh, the largest, uh, of course we are the largest county in Ireland, but it still has no refuge. So, um, 
like it's probably more appropriate for for someone working in Yana to speak about that at the minute. But um, so Yana actually covers North and East Cork. Um, a new office opened up in East Cork. I, I actually, uh, myself and Ruth Lahan, who is the manager of Yana, um, we opened that up just, it was about three weeks before the pandemic hit, <laughs> which was, you know, um, quite challenging in, in many ways. But, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, the the organisation is inundated all the time. You know, it, it, it's extremely busy. And I think they offer a fantastic service. They're really there for the women who contact them. And, you know, they offer court services as well, one-to-one sessions, counselling, training to to women and to different organisations. And, you know, so... It's, it's, not, it's not, of course, exclusively men abusing women, but it is predominantly so. There, there are exceptions to the rule, but predominantly... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the the numbers are are, are higher already for for um, male perpetrators, say, abusing women. Um, but now you know we do also have um, men's aid, and I know OSS in Cork also deal with men and women. So it's nice to have that service in the city. Um, they're fabulous workers as well inside there. And um, you've been off as well, and you have West Cork, um, also. Um, no, there there isn't a refuge at the minute, um, but that's something that the organisation is working on. Mm. I was watching a documentary over the weekend, and it's a well-known story about the time that Tina Turner uh, decided, more or less instantly, this is it, enough is enough. Uh, I'm leaving yeah. this abusive relationship, and she ran across a a busy highway, as they call it, uh, in America, yeah. with nothing but the clothes on her back and the name that she said she would keep, but no money, nothing. Uh, can I ask you, in your yeah. experience, how important is it for a woman to get into a safe environment? Oh, it's hugely important. I mean, to be quite honest with you, it saved my life. Um, I had, for me, you know, I had been in court, I got a barring order, um, but the following day, I left um, with my son, who was four at the time. We left with a bag of clothes and a box of Lego. I'll never forget it. And my parents put a blanket over us and we drove out of town and uh, lived in a, a refuge um, for four months before I felt strong enough to be able to, you know, go out and set up in a new a new place. We knew no one. We had no support network. And um, my parents were afraid to come up and visit because they were afraid that they may be followed. And um, so for myself and my son we were pretty isolated for a long time, but without the support of the refuge um, and the service they provided uh, I honestly couldn't tell you where I'd be here today. Yeah, so you you're, obviously you felt safe today. within those four walls. Could you venture out? And how long was it until you began to feel safe again? It took, 
in fairness now, you know, the, the immediate safety is wonderful, but you also have to do a lot of um, internal, personal work on yourself. Um, so that took a, a number of years um, to to actually see, like, you. for me, I didn't know who I was. You know, I couldn't make a decision. I was terrified to make a decision. And um, things like not knowing what food we liked anymore because it was always what he wanted to eat. And um, so I actually had to, it, it's almost like, it's a funny way to say it, but it's almost like you have to go out and be reborn again and learn to live again. And um, because everything you did while you were in that, that relationship mm-hmm. was completely and utterly controlled. So it, it was scary, but um, I knew I had to get out of there. Yeah. You know, the, the, it, the figures make for very stark reading, June. Between 1996 yeah. and 2022, 252 women violently died at the hands of a man. 11 women died in 2022 alone. 20 kids have died beside their mothers. 160 yeah. of the women died in their own home and 87% were killed by a man known to them. And as I mentioned, we know it's not 100% uh, man uh, abusing women, but we have to look at the predominant figures. Yeah, and you know, we would have had some men ring the organisation and we would have put them in touch with the right organisation for them, you know. Um, But it's frightening, and you just see the figures going up and up and up. But I think part of that as well is that we've come a long way. Um, you know, we're having more open discussions about it. Um, we obviously need a lot more education around it. But, you know, I think COVID really brought to light what was happening because, you know, women were able to get some kind of break. Children were able to get some kind of break when when they went out to work. Mm-hmm. How's, how's life now, work. June? How's life now? Um, I'm okay. I'm okay at the minute, you know. Um, I'm, we're free. We're, 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 we're happy. We've built another life. Unfortunately, um, I'm stage four cancer at the minute. Oh, I'm sorry to um, hear. Oh, it's, it's okay. I'm doing really, really well. I have Seamus O'Reilly on my side, so I can't go too wrong with him. Top man. But in... Sorry? Top. Top of the game. Oh, sure. He's just incredible. And the whole team really Mm. have been absolutely outstanding. But in saying that, you know, we're good. You know, we're, we're, we're good. I have good days. I have bad days. And... June, I can, o- I can only wish you all the best, but I have to leave it there and, yeah. go, and go to news. But thank you thank very much you. for your contribution this morning. Uh, and if you're, sure. thank you very much. And if you're a concerned resident around Mayfield and the whole Ennis Moore thing, we will be covering it. Don't worry. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. And who matters that matter in Ennismore in the Mayfield area, Councillor Ken O'Flynn, uh, independent councillor, joins me on line one. Good morning, Ken, uh, Councillor Ken. Good morning, how are you, my friend? Good. Uh, some developments since we last spoke. Indeed, indeed. Um, uh, look, as 
as far as I was concerned, we were waiting on a reply from the Minister. I still haven't received a reply from the Minister. Now, I am I'm aware that it emerged in the media yesterday afternoon um, that the Minister had replied to some questions put down by our Octus members, um, which was in, published in, in local media. Um, look, I'll be honest with you, Mick, the, the entire situation is bizarre to me. I was with officials on Friday evening in Cork City Council and they told me that there was no communication, that there was nothing happening up in Innesmore, that it was it was all just rumour. It now has been uh, confirmed for the Minister's office that there has been dialogue with the with the with the owners of the site. There has been dialogue with Cork City Council and it's at an, at an advanced state. Right. Um, so is, is no, it I, I, I mentioned the dearth of communication, the complete lack of concise and clear communication coming uh, from the senior powers that be uh, in, in Dublin. Is, is it not just the residents of the Mayfield area then, but the local politicians as well who've been blindsided by this lack of communication? Well, well look, uh, you know, uh, if I do my business, uh, if, you know, whether it's council business or any other sort of business that I'm involved with, when I do my business, I write to somebody, I confirm it, I expect to reply back. Um, there's been no communication whatsoever with any of the local reps. The, uh, the concerns that I outlined in my letter to the minister at the time, which was about the services in the area, if this was going ahead, would there be additional uh, doctors put into the area? Would there be additional monies made available for SNAs, for school places, for, for all those concerns? that were raised to me by the people of Mayfield, Tiffany and Montanotti. I also outlined that there is a, a, a centre in Clifton, that there's one in Hyde Park, that there's one in the Glenvera Hotel, which is on Wellington Road. Uh, that's, they're all very, very close in facility. Um, so there is a strain and an extra uh, put on to the community services that are provided in the Mayfield area. The decree that's come from Leo and and Michal of, you know, suck it up, we're taking in, we're taking in people and, you know, it's not to do with you, you know, you have to consult the community, you have to speak to the local reps, you have to speak to people and leave people know what's going in. Now where we're looking at multiple social media accounts telling us that this is going in there, that that's going in there, that this, these people, are ty- a type of people are going in there, we just don't know and we still haven't gotten confirmation whether it's a direct provision centre, whether it's for Ukrainian refugees, whether it's for undocumented men, whether it's for the group of people that are coming in, tearing, in, tearing up their passports and, and and arriving into the country. We just don't know. And nobody is addressing the major concerns, which are what happens to the extra services or will there be extra services provided for the Mayfield, Tivoli uh, yeah. and Montanotti area. Now, your, 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 your council colleague Joe Cavanagh last Friday, I think it was, uh, told us categorically uh, and guaranteed there would be no unvetted males coming to uh, that facility. Now, Joe has sent a text because we were trying to contact him. Uh, Mick, I'm currently tied up at meetings seeking clarification on this issue with Ennis Moore and I will contact you as soon as I'm finished. That's from uh, Joe, uh, Councillor Joe Kavanagh. So uh, we will expect hopefully to speak to Joe before the end of the programme. So uh, we also uh, eked a response, as Seamus did, from the Department of Integration yesterday and uh, I'll read you that. Good afternoon Seamus. Please see below a response from a department spokesperson. The department is responding to an offer of accommodation made in respect of this property. Discussions with the provider are at an advanced stage and a full assessment of the property is currently taking place. The Cork City Council have been consulted on the suitability of this accommodation. Should it be deemed suitable for accommodation for those fleeing the war in Ukraine, the community engagement team will provide detailed information in direct engagements with elected representatives in advance. So, 
that does two things. It, it suggests there's already uh, a trail over and back of communication between the Department and the Cork City Council, and it also promises more direct engagements with elected representatives in advance. Nothing for the public, though. Well, well look, where was, the, where was the engagement when Clifton uh, happened? We were brought up to Clifton maybe about two or three days before before it happened and shown around the facility. Um, I, I spoke to Senior Gardaí, nobody was consulted there. I spoke to people in the ambulance services, nobody was consulted there. Uh, nobody, Very, very few people were consulted. The decision had already been made. Now, it's quite obvious to, to anybody listening to the programme today, the decision is made. We don't know who's going in there. We want clarification on that. But the decision is most definitely made. And as I said last week on your programme, nobody spends two 2.7 million on a property to leave it sit idle. You know, that's the reality of it. But the way it's been done, the cloak and dagger, the dead of night, this uh, lack of communication, the no talking to us, being told one thing and uh, something else happening, it is unacceptable. Now, I have to say to you, Mick, I'm very disappointed with Cork City Council as well, because as I said to you, I spoke to the senior official in Cork City Council on Friday. I was told it was all pie in the sky. Um, I even have a text message from one of them, actually. I've pl- placed an FOI, a Freedom of Information question, with the Minister's office, looking for direct and concise information where the where the communication started, um, the offer, and how long has Cork City Council officials known about this? Because I, it just none of it makes sense to me. A pretty large I demonstration up, up, up there understand. last night, uh, there, Ken. There, there was. No, look, I missed it last night. I was planning to go up and meet meet with people there, but... Um, I was caught up in the storm uh, yesterday, and I had a I had a missed flight or a cancelled flight, so I was uh, I missed it. Um, I, I have been speaking to people that were at the protest uh, last night. Now there's conflicting stories of 500 people to 200 people to 150 people. I'm not quite sure what the numbers were, but most of the people that I've spoken to in the last 24 hours have outlined to me their concerns about the community. About a yes, of course. Who's going in there? Who's going to be my neighbour? Look, the reality is, Mick, if we uh, in Cork City Council allocate a home to somebody, they have to be guarded vetted. So people are asking me, how do we know who's coming into our community? What's coming into our community? We're listening to this man saying this on TikTok or that man saying this uh, on YouTube, and, and we're getting conflicting views. Uh, but the biggest concern always is how do I get, I can't even get an appointment with my doctor now. What's going to happen when this happens? I can't get an appointment with my dentist. What's happening in my son's school or my daughter's school uh, when somebody comes in that doesn't speak English, it slows down the entire class. Will there be extra SNAs? Will there be extra classes? Will there be extra funds available? What's going to happen with the traffic management? All those questions have to be addressed. They are normal questions that we address every day if something is being built in your community. All, all, all legitimate concerns. Let, let, let me read you a text from one of our listeners. Hi, lads. Regarding the peaceful protest by concerned Mayfield residents last night, I think it's appropriate that councillors Joe Kavanagh and John Mara come on the show and explain themselves. Well, Joe has promised to uh, be in touch. All of a sudden, they've gone very quiet. Uh, they were elected by people from the area and they have an obligation to explain their actions. People in the area are not fools. There is the Cope Foundation and two special needs uh, schools directly in that area within 100 metres in fact 
Elderly people live in the area. You also have two schools and numerous creches. They've already slipped two other centres into the area without the knowledge of residents, but the elected representatives knew about it. I'll let you come back on that one. Maybe the Dominican centre could be used for Irish homeless families for a change. Enough is enough, and when's it going to stop? The government and its associates have lost the nation's uh, support. Shame on them for turning their backs on the needy Irish. Uh, I can't come on the show, but please read this out. What would your comment to that be? Well, look, just in regards to Clifton, I think I mentioned it last week on the show. I did write to the minister. I got a reply from the minister about two weeks after people had been put into Clifton. There was no additional resources put into the area of Montanato or Mayfield at that time. There was nothing extra brought on, brought into the community, whether it be doctor, dentist, teacher, etc., brought into the community at that time. Nobody knew anything about Hyde Park, um, which was passed over, which was uh, which went to IPAS as well. Uh, nobody knew anything about it from what I understand um, so the information just wasn't available to us and again what's happening now here is the decree is coming down from 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 up on high uh, we're told to suck it up get over it uh, and you know it's almost as if we don't have the right to ask a question about who's coming into our community but look the reality is here Mick is that I can't talk about the other public reps it's up to them to make their argument but I, I'm looking for the FOIs I'm looking for the information I'm trying to get the information out to the people it's proving very very difficult I'm elected as our public rep. I'm extremely disappointed with the responses I'm getting from central government, the responses that I've received from city council. I don't believe are up to scratch. And that's why I've put in the freedom of information questions, getting an entire timeline and an entire view on the, uh, on the situation. Yeah, I, I've, I've, I've seen, I've I've seen your letter the to, the, to the department, Ken, uh, on, on the FOI issue. And I can confirm uh-huh. it's, uh, it's right on the, on, on the button as regards being concise and uh, stating exactly what you, what you wanted to get under FOI re- regulations. So you're, you're old school in that way. What, what people are really annoyed about, right? And you'll, you'll find it from people texting in the show, I've no doubt, and people that I've been speaking to in the community in the last couple of days. They're annoyed about the lack of information of what's happening, who's going in there, what's going in there. It's not an anti-refugee, it's not a racist thing, it's not about colour or creed, it's not about that, it's about what's happening in my community. And everybody deserves to know what's going in next door to them. And you know, Mick, if there was a planning, if there was a guy building a house next door to you, you would look at the plans. That's why we have a planning process. That's why you have a planning process. Okay. Uh, Councillor Ken O'Flynn, you're you're, you're welcome to stay on the line, but I want to bring in uh, Tommy Gould, TD, here. Uh, Morning to you, Tommy. Good morning, Mick. Okay, so last week we saw Cork County Council deny rumours Ennismore was to be used to provide accommodation to refugees. Now the media and certain active councillors have... Uh, what seems to be written confirmation from the department that it is. Yeah, well, what happened there, Mick, and just apologies for the quality I'm on the screen at the moment, but what happened, I was contacted by local residents last week looking to find out what was actually happening. So I contacted the minister and the department, and over the weekend I got back a response confirming to me that uh, the Department of um, the Department of Children was looking at was at a, a, a serious stage of looking at using the uh, the Ennismore site, the Ennismore site for uh, Ukrainian um, refugees. You're on a train, all right, Tommy. <laughs> and the other thing then, Mick, is Cox City Council released a statement last week denying that that's 
that's what was happening. And what's after happening now is there's major confusion between the council saying one thing, councillor saying one thing, and the department and the minister saying something else. And it just goes to the heart of how this whole situation has been mishandled. Like, it, it's really... The, the government is really in a, a peak there of this. And, like, as, as Kenneth said there, I, I've been calling to people over the weekend. People in Montanabi and Mayfield are decent, respectable people. They, they just want to know what's happening in their community. And the vast majority of them... Um, like, I spoke to people last night who, who went to the process, but I spoke to others who didn't. And they said to me, they don't want to be going up post-listing. One person referenced uh, what happened in Tipperary last week. They, they said they, they didn't want to see that up in their community. And a person then applied to me about what happened in Holy Cross in the north when uh, when children, nationalist children, were being blocked going to school and. People don't want to see those things, but they do want to know what's happening in their community, and they do want uh, the minister to tell them. And I've asked for the minister to come to court and meet the council, the councillors, and the local residents to let them know. But just to let people know now, I have confirmation from the minister that it's being looked at to put Ukrainian refugees in there. And yeah. I have that in writing, and I sent the email to yourself. And what's the feeling on the ground in the community as regards their level of welcome for Ukrainian refugees fleeing war? Well, can I say this? I, I think it, it just, there's a really uh, open-hearted welcome in, in the area. But, but the problem is people just want to be included in the conversation. They want to know what's happening. Like, like there are 163,000 empty houses in the state. People are very angry with the government because of the housing crisis, the health crisis, the cost of living. But these were all there before the Ukrainian crisis. And they can make the point there, people are talking about services. Mayfield has been promised a primary care centre for years and still hasn't been delivered. And if the government were doing their job and delivered the primary care centre and delivered the housing to people who may feel in Rantanari would well to them, I believe it open arms. But the problem is the, the, like Mayfield and Mayfield has been abandoned by this government and previous governments. The lack of investment in the community up there, and then they're being they're being asked to take people in, and they will, they will. Or you have no doubt about that. But what they're saying is, there is there. Let there be investment in Mayfield. Let there be investment in services up there. Okay, and will you be singing for the same hymn sheet in fourteen or fifteen months, if if you guys have the reins of power? Yeah, well, we've we been very open and transparent about our position and what we want to see. Uh, like, I've been very, like, I've been, I've been personally targeted. I've been, but uh, when I was out on the boat in my office, even my home, people called my home, uh, the salary, I stood up for people, for, like, women and children coming in from a war to our country. And let people remember the amount of Irish people who had driven over our country by the British over the, over the centuries, right? So, and all the people I'm talking to have welcomed those people from Ukraine with open arms. They've ran jaws, they've brought up toys, clothes, the supports that have been... I was on a Blackpool. They walked, the amount of what Blackpool Community Centre are doing for uh, Ukrainian refugees, but for the Ukraine, for the elderly of Blackpool, for the different communities, it's unbelievable. And that's the type of people to, to, who I'm talking to. These are respectable people, but they want this government to be open and honest. And like, 
Yet you look at it, last week Cox City Council said there was no truth to this. And now you didn't have it confirmed in writing. So it's no wonder people are suspicious of the government. And they're just making a bag to their spit. Okay. Texture says, um, Tommy, could you ask Tommy one question? Because Sinn Féin keep blaming the government. If the government provide the extra service for the area, would he then be happy for refugees to move into the old retreat centre? That's from Morris. Well, you can tell Morris, I think I, and the vast majority of people in the Mayfield Mountain area have no issues with Ukrainians coming in and being housed up there, right? Like, we see young families, women and children. Like, I've I've seen it firsthand how brilliant Irish communities are. And if anyone has any doubts, if they go along Granada or Blackpool, anywhere, right, down to Blarney and Tower and Glamour, uh, and they'll see how Irish people have welcome and a lot of times they've got no they've got no extra services like it's not all about like Irish people have families all over the world they've known what their own families have gone through but make, I, I would say this we are not advocating an open door policy but when you have refugees when you have people fleeing war when you have people who are desperate to save their children I don't think I think the vast majority of Irish people stand with those people because from our own history, we know that ourselves. All right, I want to give the final word to uh, to Kenneth Flynn here who's been holding for a while. Ken? Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Uh, thanks. Look, I, I think I'd have a different view on, on a lot of the things that Sinn Féin would have. I don't believe in the open-door policy that Sinn Féin has, uh, which it does have, whether it's denied or not on, on air, it does have. Um, I have to say, I think people have been very generous to Ukraine, the Ukrainians, genuine Ukrainians. People have no problem with women and children. People do, and I have to be honest, I'm going to be straight with you, people do say to me, I have a huge problem with somebody that's coming in on a Ukrainian passport, in particular if it's a man fighting a and that may have never set foot in the Ukraine. And that's happened as well. That has may never have set foot in, uh, on the battlefield, is it? Yeah, I uh, know in the Ukraine. They're holding Ukrainian passports. Oh, Ukrainian, Ukrainian passport holders. Ukrainians. Are yeah. you still there, Tommy Gould? Yes, well, the train is moving on, so I could lose you. Just one second, because we're probably going to lose Thomas Gould. Tommy, where are you guys going to put all the refugees that, you know, you've got a more open-door policy than any party? No, we don't have an open-door policy. And if anyone wants to check out our manifesto from 2020, they will see it. And what Kenneth said there is not correct. And that's the problem. People saying untruths and things that are not correct. Check our policies out. It's all online. Tommy, I have, in fairness, no, in fairness, no, Tom, and, and we know where you stand, and that's fine. That's fine if you have a position. No, that's fine. Your position is your position, and that's all right too. That's all right too. I just have a different position on it. I believe that we've done. We've we've taken in eighty thousand pe- people from the Ukraine. We have, as you know, and Tommy, you're dealing with it as I am in the north side. We have fourteen thousand people homeless. I have people living in cars at the moment that I'm dealing with in your, in our constituency in the north side where we live. That's what I'm dealing with, and people. Tommy, let's let Tommy back in here. Yeah. There was people living in cars. I went to council with Kenneth going back years ago. We've had a housing and a homeless crisis and children. This is the government's fault. It normal forgets, right? And I'll give you one example, Mick. A woman came to me who has cancer who can't get a medical card. And she said to me, how come Ukrainians can get them? And I said, because the government done wrong. This is about Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the Green Party not doing their job. And if Sinn Féin get into power, 
we will do our job and we'll make sure there are houses for people who are on the waiting list. And I so Tommy, will Sinn Féin, are you confirming that? Will Sinn Féin remove the medical cards from Ukrainians? Are you confirming that now? Because that's what you no, suggested. No, what I'm saying is no, people okay. with cancer and yeah, people will there. get medical cards. No, that's my point. People are entitled to uh, slaunch care. And that's what Sinn Féin will deliver, tell it, tell it. And you know that. You've, you've been in the council with me long enough to know or... I gave my maiden speech in Cork City Council in 2009 on housing. 2009, that's 15 years ago. The Ukrainian war is two years old. Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. And Kenneth, at the time, you were a member of Fianna Fáil and you were supporting them policies. So let's remember that too, if you're talking about no, no, policy. No, not to, I'm not denying, I'm not denying it. I'm not, I don't have to deny my history at all, Tom. Tom, I don't deny my history at all. That's the history of it, Kenneth. I'll be fair with anyone. Look at look at your own history now first before you talk about anyone else's. Well, listen, I'm in the tunnel here, uh, Mick. Uh, I'd certainly love to come on with you again. But what I'm saying here, this is a government issue. They're making it, they're making a bad situation. Minister Roderick O'Gorman needs to come down to Cork and needs to meet the people in Mayfield and Montanari and Cork City Council because there's a lot of confusion out there at the moment and people just need the truth. Tommy, there's no doubt we're at capacity and we're in crisis mode, but didn't you guys in Sinn Féin at your Ardesh call for open-door policy? No, mate, I just said it here. Our manifesto of 2020, we want to control our borders. Our problem is, and we've never been a power. And Ken made a point here, and you might have made a point. We'll be judged. We'll be judged on what we do. All right. I'm going to ha- have to leave it there, guys, because I've got uh, a couple of callers holding on for quite some time. Uh, Thomas Gould, TD, and Councillor Ken O'Flynn, thank you very much. We're back in a moment. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. Finbar, my sincere thanks. You, you were holding for quite some time there. Uh, but welcome to the airwaves. I understand. That's good. I just, there's no problem there. Uh, just, just on the other boat, what you're on, Tennyson and Tommy Gold. Sorry, I, I'm finding it very hard to hear you, Finbar. Could you move around slightly? Can you hear me there now? No, it's a terrible phone, love. We may have to try and get you back. Uh, I tell you what, just ju- just hang up and, and, and let us let us ring you back. You're welcome to come on, but just hang up and, and we will ring you back, all right? Thank you very much. By text, Thomas Gould and his party are all for open borders and uh, uncontrolled immigration. They're jumping on the bandwagon now. Sinn Féin are not friends of the Irish people and don't have them at heart. It is sickening to see those communists jumping on the concerns of good people in the north side, so says a, a texter. Uh, on the topic uh, of our first interview with Marcia Dalton, uh, can you ask that councillor about the motion to take back control of water services in Cork from Irish Water, which was passed yesterday, please? Not sure what that one is about. Uh, shame on you, Mick. That man was never convicted of the murder of that poor woman in West Cork. Trial by media and social media is not law. Have some respect for Ian Bailey. He was convicted in his absence in France, but they had no actual evidence. The guards here, as usual, couldn't find their arse with both hands. Uh, I'm not sure what you're on about there, what I should be ashamed of. I never, ever said um, anything about uh, Ian Bailey in that respect. Uh, I did confirm that he was convicted in absentia by the French authorities. Um, but uh, And as I was at pains to point out to his legal representative, uh, Frank Buttermer, yesterday, who would surely have corrected me, he was, yes, arrested twice, 
but never legally charged in this country uh, with the murder of Sophie Toscan de Plantier. So I'm not sure what you're asking me to be uh, ashamed of. Uh, and if it's trial by media and social media, uh, then we're simply reading out these social media reactions to what we do. Uh, and as a media service, trying to be fair to everybody here. So not sure what you mean there. Um, but let's see if we have Finbar back on the line. Morning, Finbar. Morning. Yeah, I can hear you a little better. Yeah. Off you go. I'm going. No, I just with uh, Tommy Gould and uh, Kenneth Lindell, the two of them, I'm saying, they're making statements, but there's not one of them. They're just passing over. There's not one of them saying about the Irish people to be out in front of Ukraine. Yeah, I, it's a it's a huge that that that's a huge issue, and 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 that is really the agenda uh, of of those who who were um, protesting last night uh, in Mayfield. It's to ask everyone to recognise that that they feel that the intended occupants of the building are being put before Irish citizens. Exactly, but I'm saying he was on there. Tommy Gould said there when he was asked again, Kim Van Asken. And he said, he asked him, do we want to put in the Ukrainians in there? He said, I do, and a lot of people above here in Mayfield and surrounding areas. He said, he's speaking, he's getting himself off the hook straight away by bringing other people, covering him. How does he know that all these people would prefer, would have, forget about it, but you have your, no doctors or anything, have them in front of Irish people? Did he ask the whole lot of them? He's covering his back every time. Okay, I'm still finding it very hard to hear you. I'd love to hear what you're saying. You, you were on about Nick Henderson last week from the Irish Refugee Council, yeah? Yeah, no, Mar- I was still waiting to go on, but I can't remember what I was going to go on about. He was on about something, and I can't, can't for the for the, the right of me, I can't, I can't remember what it was. All right. Um, I had a lot in my head last week, but I couldn't get on. It's, it's no problem. I'm, I'm, I'm just sorry that you held so long to make your point, and, and it's yeah. a, I think you might need a new phone, Finbar. Oh, yeah, I'll have to get a new one. <laughs> All yeah, right. The other thing was, trying to get on with Tommy Gould here. Yeah. Uh, there was land above by the Apple computer that could have been done for social housing. And... It was bought up. Did he come to sort it back to Apple? Is Apple Computer sort it back to? They're just in between group. They're just called a group. No one knows who they are. But is Apple bought it? They'll be putting up accommodation there for the, for the workers. That's what they're going to do. And yet, you had Kenneth Lynn, Mick Nugent went along and voted to sell it. So where's he going to show? They're selling it. So I say he's contradicting himself. He's on council of boarded with the, with, the, with the body men inside there to sell off land above long to operation. Well, I guess Apple need to expand. They need to have some accommodation because it's in short supply for <laughs> their, <laughs> for their <laughs> workers. 6,000 people work there. Why couldn't the council put up accommodation with their own? I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs of what Apple are doing there, but I, I imagine they're, they're, they're building an extra production facility as well or an extra office facility. Well, who's that for? But that's not for Irish. There's many well, Irish working up there. there. Thousands of people from if Cork. If you're lucky, there's 1% above there, and that's, that's a lot. You had a guy on there when he was in, when he was in, in, in office, Nick O'Connell, 
And he said to the people of not Nottingham, that was his, his thing to get to get into government, that there'd be plenty of work above Nottingham's computer for all the teenagers and all the, all the people of not Nottingham. And never, never, never came to fruition, though. But he, he found out, he found out and said that afterwards, he was voted out. So Tommy and them don't want to realize coming up and get their act, get their act together. Simple as that. All right, Finbar, th- 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 thanks a million for, for ringing in. Thanks for holding. And I'm sorry it's not a great line. I'm finding it's still hard to hear All you. Right, uh, but th- thank you very much. Johnny is on line one. Hi, Johnny. Oh, Mick, are you right? Oh, I can hear you. I'm good. Uh, you were at the Mayfield I, protest last night, yeah? I was, I was up there till about half past nine, ten o'clock with the lads. And it's, it's planned for not just one night, is it? Oh, no, this is going to go on. Oh, it's going to go on until we get confirmation that, like, it's not unvetted military age men in there. And to be honest, Mick, is really what I wanted to come on for. Tommy Gould ha- is well able to say on the radio there about them, or the residents up in Mayfield have no bother with Ukrainians, kids and families going in there. But how does he know that? He went, There was 500 people up here last night, and I was talking to a lot of them people, and not one of them people came out and said that they wouldn't mind if loads of families went in there. Do you know what they say? They say, we don't want anyone going in there from other countries, because we, they're on waiting list for doctors, for, for dentists, they're on waiting list for everything. And so if you bring another 100 people up into this little area, like that's, that's more pressure on them systems. No, the people up in Mayfield, Tommy Goose should have been up here last night when there was 500 local people up here. That's when Tommy Goose should have been up here talking to the people. He, I don't know how he can say I was, I'm talking on behalf of the people up in Mayfield that they have no bother with Ukrainian families going in there. But he's talking out to his, he's talking out to his ass. So you were in Ross Gray as well, Johnny, were you? I went up with the lads, but that was after the troubles. Okay. That was after after the people were moved, moved in. We just went up to have a conversation, and the same with them for my the for my lads actually came up last night to Mayfield on a bus. They got a bus up in fairness to them to support us up in Mayfield. Yes, for my seems to be a more constant protest, where the, but not as for my is the longest ever protest. I think to be honest, Mick, I think it's the longest ever held protest, constant protest in in history. I think to be honest. Yeah, but we have we have um, had some communication with residents in the area who were actually afraid to come on air, and l- let me put it bluntly, um, because they feel that their area and their community is now the new Ross Crayer. Now it's you know, uh, it's being uh, targeted is the wrong word, but it's been cheapened, uh, and it's been the tone has been lowered by in in the whole area by these huge protests, which are essentially over one building. Uh, and they, but they feel afraid to speak out. Why would that be? I, I actually don't. I think like people are afraid to speak out. I don't know is it the reason they're going to be called a racist, or they're going to be thinking that people are far right? And like I actually don't understand. Like we, people that are actually concerned don't want to come on and give the word. Like you know, I actually yeah. don't really understand why. Because like to be honest, it was I, to make there was at least four. I wasn't expecting the numbers up here last night to be that big. I, I, saw, I, I saw the video. I, I saw the video of one of the cars passing, and, they, they, and it was they very. Were all kids and there was hundreds of cars passing, beeping the horns. People that didn't even get out of the, out of the cars, supporting the people. So, like, what? It, like, just say, for instance, there was four hundred people up here. Then people were here as concerned people of what's going to happen with this bit of land, with this one building, and down in Blackpool, and and um, on the street by Murphy's Chipper, there's another big building meant to be for for a refugee centre as well that can house three to four hundred I got told but this is all still the same location like Cork City 
Like it's a small city. You know, like the doctors and the, no, no, the, the like the hospitals are overrun, Mick. Like the girls, like even talking to the girls, the girls can't keep up with what they have. We have enough of our own scumbags on the streets, enough of our own drug dealers, enough of our own homeless on the streets that we need to take care of first before we take bring in thousands of other people that. I right, fear enough, he, Tommy Gould and Ken came on and said, these boys are vetted. Like, come on, they, these boys are vetted, they're fingerprinted, and they're, they're known from, like, what, where they came from, the last country where they came from. But they don't know if they want to be Interpol, if they're, like, there was people actually that were caught, and they'd done crimes here, and they were caught that they were actually wanted by Interpol for terrorism, like. Okay, and, and what's, from England. What, what's the ambition of your movement, Johnny? Is it we will go to Formoy, we will go to Rusgrave, we will go to Mayfield, we'll go to the next spot, and we'll keep going until the immigration policy uh, well, in its entirety is changed. The local councillors make come out and talk to the local people. Four or five hundred people there last night. Come out and just talk to us and tell us. Look, they hid it from us for weeks. We were up here a, a year ago, me and a few people, and said that this place is going to be turned into a refugee centre. And every councillor said, no, hope is never going to happen. This is not happening. And look where we are now. We were called fairly, we were called Nazis for saying all this stuff, for getting people worried. And now sure they're worried because it's on their own doorstep. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the, the crowd we got over here last night, like, and fair play to Jason, because Jason, it's all the work down to Jason, and Anita's doing a bit. But, like, the crowd, that just shows that the community is coming together because they're not going to leave this happen. I saw, the, I saw the crowd lining the road, obviously allowing all the cars to pass. And it was and a peaceful protest, not a yeah. bit of hassle went down. Everyone stood there, there was even one or two songs sung, and everyone got on, and everyone had the exact same t- say. Why can't we get our own homeless? Like, some homeless can't be helped, Mick. You know that yourself. Mm-hmm. Some homeless can't be helped. Simple as that. And, but and, there's 14,000 homeless. I'd say if you went down and asked at least 20 people that are on the homeless, homeless list with one child, do you want to go in there and have a single room for yourself just to get you out of the cold and get you into a place rather than a hotel, you would have a little kitchen in there for yourself. I bet you that place will be gone in the morning. It'll be full in the morning. But the, the homeless situation, if that was to be filled with homeless people, uh, and and I know most of them, the, the huge majority of them, deserve to be housed. And I know how well, it, 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 it... Properly housed, Mick. Properly housed. But that's, we, we know that's not able to happen now because there's not enough houses. But, like, accommodations, like, these, these accommodations are well done up. Brand new beds. Everything is spanky new in there. My buddy moved into a place down in Douglas Street. He has three kids. He got a council house, a one-bedroom house. He has three kids now, Mick. He got a one-bedroom house with electric rods. He can't even heat the place. The smell of mold in there. And he has three kids, but none, he, he won't even bring his kids into the house. His kids never even seen the inside of the house. But that's what they give him. And he told me, if they give me a place like that, he said I'd be more than happy to go up in there. And would, would, a, would a homeless shelter for Irish homeless people be acceptable there? Legitimate, not drug, not drug people on drug and people trying to get off drinking stuff. People maybe trying to get off drugs, but I wouldn't be putting fellas that are having drugs and stuff into place like this in a local area with people around. Okay, let's let's, let's clarify it so, Johnny. Well, would it be acceptable to a peop- to family people who are suffering from eviction? Oh, one hundred, and I tell you now, Mick, our landlord, myself, my landlord is after saying to me the last few months that he's thinking about selling up, and I will have nowhere to go, and like. That's the thing, that's, that's why I'm actually out all the time because I'm so passionate about this because if my landlord does sell up, me, I'm, the missus and the child have nowhere to go. 
Okay, so how long more will the, will the Mayfield protest go on? A few more nights, is it? No, it'll go on long, longer than that, I think. It'll go on till we get councillors up here and telling us that this is not going to be a ref. Because what you have to understand, Mick, is if this is turned into a refugee camp, it's always going to be a refugee camp. Will you stay in touch no, with I us, Johnny? To... We'd welcome you staying in touch with us and, uh, you know, keeping your ears to the ground as to what's going on up yeah, there, yeah? Just what people have to realise, Mick, is one thing, like, that we, 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 uh, we do have to take in non-national this country to build the country up. But people that want to work and don't want to claim off the social welfare just coming here for benefits. Yeah. So we do need non-national, so don't say we don't need non-national when we do. This country would choke, Johnny, if we didn't have... Oh, legal, we should look at the non-national. We have Chinese in here for the last 40, 50 years. We have Asians in here. We have more Asian restaurants in, in town than we do have Irish restaurants. Uh, but listen, ju- ju- just in case you are, you know, decrying Ukrainians, there's 17,000 Ukrainian people now in full-time employment in oh, Ireland. 100%, yeah, 100%, but there's 17,000 of them have a home over there as well, isn't it, Mick? Yeah, all right. I gotta go because I gotta get a couple of calls and then I'd break in. Thanks for the call. Cheers. Thanks, Johnny. Cheers. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. It's eight minutes to 11. Thanks for holding. James, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Mick. How are you? I'm good. You think uh, Tommy Gould is spot on, yeah? I think Tommy Gould is spot on there. I I was listening this morning and what he was saying made an awful lot of sense. I mean, I know we have a housing shortage. I, I, I'm in a council house myself, and I had 15 years to wait to get a place, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's not a product of anyone's fault except the government's failure to build houses, you know. And uh, I live below a in there, and um, you might remember a couple of years ago there was a controversy started up there about um, Ukrainians been giving modular homes down here. Yes. And we have the same old guff from the same old voices that I hear on your radio station all the time unvetted males and women won't be safe and they're born down the place and all this nonsense. They're all moved in there now. They're lovely people. They're integrating into the community. There are no problems. And we're, we're hearing this and it's a hysteria. And we have the same thing as well as you had up in Mayfield. People being shipped in from other areas to tell people in Mayfield you shouldn't be happy about this. I mean, your, your own ass caller there said, well, people came from Fermi and stuff. A lot of people from Fermi doing coming down to Mayfield telling people they shouldn't be allowing people to live there. That's a bit of nonsense. And carry on all together. We all have to get along and make the best of everything. The well, there, 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 there does there does James seem to be a wider or greater agenda at play here, and and, and that is find find a pressure point, find find a building that is being proposed. Uh, get on get on the media and on social media and whip up a, a lot of concern. Um, have have a big meeting, bus people in from other areas, uh, kind of yeah. put, put pressure on the local authorities. Uh, and at the same time, a lot, of, a lot of the local community are now worried that the spotlight is on their area and their community, um, all possibly to service a greater agenda. Would I be right? Well, I, I, I'd agree with you there, Mick. And, and the truth is like that once the place is built and the people are moved in, this crowd move on somewhere else. And that's what happened in Mahan now. There's no issue around the Ukrainians anymore. We were told it was going to be the end of the world, and it wasn't the end of the world. And the same old lies are peddled all the time. This phrase, unvetted young men of military age. What does that actually mean? Because every person who comes into this country applies for asylum, their photographs and fingerprints are taken, and that circulated the police forces around Europe. So everyone is vetted, like. And the people proclaiming this on the radio very often, and on your show, two of the people who be on regularly were both immigrants themselves, one in Canada and one in the United States, when they were young men of military age. 
So there's a bit of hypocrisy there as well, Neil, or making um, fairness like. I mean, I've walked abroad, I've walked in Australia, and I've walked in the US, and in both places I'd be straight up. I was walking on the black, because it's what you do to survive during the recession, and that's just the way you have to survive. And there was hostility and all that there. But we all just trying to make our way and get by in life. That's all we're all trying to do. But these families coming from Ukraine, they're fleeing from a war zone, women and children. And, you know, you've got to give them a chance. You've got to help them out. It's as simple as that. And we have the course. That doesn't say we don't have to help our own homeless as well. We do indeed. But that's down to the government not building enough houses. And the only resolution to that is to replace this government one that actually does that and addresses these issues. And the either shortages in terms of medical care are... Well, the, the, the number of commencements is up. is up in the last 12 months. number of commencements is up and uh, they're saying the number of applicants on the housing list is down. Now, that, that's, oh, I'm open to correction on that. But we, we often get texts from listeners on, on this programme, James, to say, your man Joe Bloggs, you were talking to there, uh, who's given out about the, the people getting accommodation, whatever, was the recipient of state housing himself. I know it, oh, yeah, well, that look, kind of I'm, thing, you know. I'm in a council house. I'm in a council house and I'm, I'm glad to be in it. I tell you, Neil, it changed my life because uh, being in private rental accommodation in this city, I have lots of friends who are in it currently. It's a very, very tough position to be in. I was never going to be in a position where I was going to afford my own house. Um, and I'm very glad to have it. And I'm glad to see other people when they get it too, you know. Um, how, how, would, how would the people in Mahan react now if another building was chosen for incoming refugees or asylum seekers? Well, they're obviously the the mixed bag. The same same thing has happened everywhere else. You know, Matt, there's a very fine schools below, and there are a lot of places in in the in the in the, the secondary school next to me to be, you know, to to keep a lot of places. It keeps the schools open to have young fresh blood coming in. You know, all the time, and there's lots of work very close to Mahan too with Mahan Pint and Little Island and all that you know it's, 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 it's a perfect Mahan, place for the Mahan. transport network and the ring road and everything it's a it's a, one, it's a wonderful community I'm down there now 17 years Neil and I have to say I really enjoy it all right, and lots of neighbours who from all over the world Neil and I get on with them all there are one or two neighbours then who endorse that second old nonsense and you don't get on with them but that's fair enough all right. you know, we all have to muck along together but man's a great, great community. And Mayfield and Montanay are a great spot as well. And that location, it's in... Uh, your man was on earlier, I said, we're a small city. We're, we're the third biggest city in Ireland. We have hospitals, we have schools, we have universities. You know, don't be knocking our city. Yeah, but there are, there are those who would say we're, we're, we're doing more than our fair share. But i got to go there, James. News at 11 is on the way next on The Neil Prendeville Show. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters. Colin Burke, TD, joins us on line two. Colin, you've heard nothing from the Department of Integration yet? No, I haven't heard anything, but I will be followed up during the day because, you know, the normally the, the department would advise us if there was um, some proposal um, going ahead in the area. We, I've heard nothing from the department on it or from the minister. Um, so I'm not clear what the what the plan is. Um, as I understand it, the um, the department did issue a statement to yourselves last night that there was work. Um, you know, my understanding from your own statement that you had this morning, you've as much as information as I have on the matter. Okay, uh, there seems to be a certain lack of communication all round because we've had councillors here. Uh, all they could really do though was say no unvetted males uh, will. Uh, in the near future or ever uh, be accommodated there. But it does seem that Cork City Council have been consulted on the suitability of this accommodation uh, for Ukrainian uh, f- Ukrainians fleeing the war. Suitable accommodations for those fleeing the war 
in Ukraine. Other people would ask, why are Ukrainian males coming here anyway? Uh, is, yeah, is, well, isn't there a directive from Vladimir well. Zelensky that, that they shouldn't leave the country? Yeah, well, you see, uh, it was interesting. We had the, the Department of Social Welfare in before the Public Accounts Committee last Thursday, and I asked specific questions on the numbers of um, Ukrainians who were receiving support. There was 103,000 people issued with PPS numbers. Um, it is now clearly um, the position that only 80,000 of that 103,000 are in the country. Um, and of that 80,000, about 21,000 are in education because they're all, you know, school young age um, or you know secondary school or even third level and then there's 17,000 of that number who are working full time there are a number uh, I think there's about 2,000 then who are involved in various schemes and there's ongoing consultation with um, members of in each in each facility but I do think that the decision by the government not to award the same amount that was awarded initially when the whole number start coming in was the correct decision and I think we need to review the current position of those who have come here earlier in the year or, 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 or in, during last year and the year before. Okay, so j- just to clarify, while the figures might suggest inadvertently that we're supporting 103,000 people with 103,000 dole payments every week. That's not the case. No, no, we're, we're, we're supporting 80,000. 80,000 is, and that's including women and children. Uh, it includes all of those that are in. It's 80,000 now, the Department of Social Welfare. And how they know it is because, you know, there has to be, there's ongoing connection with them as regards drawing the payments. They have to uh, be available. I, I understand that the um, Social Welfare Department uh, in the area, so it's not, it's not a situation where it's paid out um, without there is full accountability there. So it's down to 80,000. Yeah, but one, one dole payment column could, could be covering uh, mother, father and three children. So it's 80,000 PPS numbers are being supported. 80,000 PPS numbers, but the, the department, I, I cross-examined, if you look at the, uh, the um, if you look back at the, my cross-examining of the Department of Social Welfare, they're satisfied that it's 80,000 people that are being supported and that are residing here because they do have to have evidence that they are residing here in drawing their payments. Okay. John Aaron has often been described as a, a family and as much as you might be at each other's throats in the media or on the hustings or at election time, um, it's, it's still a familial atmosphere, I would imagine. What, what's the atmosphere like around the corridors of power regarding this immigration situation? Well, I think there, there are two things that we need to be conscious of. I mean, remember that if you go back to 2011, we had 1.8 million people working in this country. We now have 2,655,000. So that's an increase of 800,000 in the last 12 years. It's interesting that there's 500, and these figures kind of are not discussed openly, there's 530,000 people who are not Irish, who are working in this country and who are paying tax. They are working and contributing to the Irish economy because we created the jobs. You take in Cork, you take all the pharmaceutical companies like Eli Lilly, Shearing Plough, um, Stryker, all of those companies have done very well over the last number of years. And a lot of people coming into those jobs are from outside of the European Union. The other thing is in relation to the medical side. <clears throat> we have a huge number of doctors, nurses, care assistants. You go to any nursing home at the moment and a huge number of the staff are non-Irish, non-European and are from outside of the European Union and we are very reliant on them and in fact if you go to some hospitals around the country now we've anything up to 80% of the medical staff that's consultants 
uh, registrars, SHOs, interns, well not interns but SH, senior house officers are up to 80% are non-European now working in our smaller hospitals because we don't have uh, a sufficient number. Remember the population of this country has increased by 40% in the last 23 years. It's a huge increase in population and therefore like for instance you take in the medical services, the workforce in the medical services incre- has increased by over 40,000 in the last six, seven years and we wouldn't have been able to increase that only for being able to get people in from outside of Ireland and outside of Europe. Um, the irony is, I suppose, that you know, the more that these protests pop up around the country, the less inclined the department will be to effectively communicate with communities uh, as well, to what's happening. Mistake. I think I think it's a huge mistake not to communicate with communities. I mean, there's been a very successful engagement in, in, in many areas and that's about engaging with communities at a very early stage and informing both public representatives but also the community organisations that are on the ground in a particular area. I think it's important that they're advised of what is proposed, what's the makeup of the people coming in there and indeed about engaging with those communities about working with the people who are coming in. And you take, like, you know, I refer to the fact that there's 21,000 who are in our educational system. Um, I recently heard a school teacher in one area where the number of um, the the number of teachers in the school increased from six to nine because of the number of Ukrainians that are in there. And it has worked very effectively in the school um, um, and because at a very early stage, the community was involved. And I think it's a huge mistake by any government department or any state agency to refuse and ignore local communities and not engage with them. All right, your understanding on the Ennismore property is that it was ripped out about eight months ago. Uh, No, not about eight months ago, but my understanding was that when it was vacated, anything that was there of value was removed out of it, but it would take quite a lot of work to bring it back into use. Now, whether that work has been going on or not over the last eight months, I'm not uh, not aware. It may very well have been, but I, I understand a lot of work would have to be done to make it available or to make it suitable how long that will take or has that work been completed I don't know I, I haven't any inside information on that issue yeah. Departmental um, releases yesterday say that Cork City Council have been consulted on the suitability of this accommodation yet when they're on the air on this programme uh, a lot of them seem to have been blindsided by it well, I mean, I, I understand that Cork City Council may not have been consulted on this. Um, uh, that, that is my understanding. There is also an issue that's arising as well, Neil, and, and that's in relation to, you know, I said about 20,000 of the Euro- Ukraine population have returned home. There is a situation where existing facilities have a lot of vacant space. And that's an issue that needs to be looked at, and it's an issue that I intend bringing up with the department. In fact, one of the people that's operating one of those facilities, they play it by the by the book in the sense that once a vacancy arises, they immediately advise the department. There may very well be a scenario where um, some of the facilities are not advising the department of the vacancies. And I understand that there are some vacancies in some of the centres that they're not fully occupied, uh, and that's something that I think the department needs to fully look into and making sure that you know the whatever people are whatever the company or the organization who's providing the accommodation is getting paid for that it is the full numbers that are residing there at any particular time okay in your opinion october election or will we push back to 2025 um i would say it's probably it's probably after after the budget i would imagine um of the coming year Okay, so that that would suggest you think at least uh, it could be as close as October, but maybe as far away as March. 
could be, but it, it certainly, I think it'll be, it'll be uh, putting through the budget. I think will be, I think Michael McGrath and and I think everyone in government is of the view that we should try and make every effort to put through another budget and um, plan for uh, the next number of years. And and fairness, Neil, like there is a lot of good things that have happened in Cork, for instance, we wrote in Bellancolic recently now, where we opened the new medical centre, which has, you know, a large number of GPs working there. It has an ophthalmology service there. It has um, psychiatric services there. It has community care. Huge range of services there. We now need to build a similar facility in Blarney, and we need to build a similar facility in Clanmire. We already built one of those facilities above in um, St Mary's Orthopaedic um, and it's working very well. There's a huge range of services provided by the HSE there and I think we need to do now is both Clanmire and Blarney and that's one of the priorities that I have. Okay. And also the other issue is the elective hospital issue for Sarsfield's Court. We need, the Minister needs to get a finger out on that matter. I'm very dissatisfied with what's happening on that issue. Um, have you declared your own intentions, Colm, as to whether you're standing or not next yes, time around? I will be. I have told my party that I will be putting my name forward for the next um, general okay. election. All right. Thanks very much, Colin Burke. At the end of the day, Neil, it's, it's up to the electors. At the end of the day, that's great. Thanks a lot. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Bye bye. And let's go to line one and to Jim. Jim's been hanging on for a while there. Hi, Jim. Hi, Nick. How are you? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm happy or sad that uh, Colin Burke keeps calling me Neil, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter in the slightest. Uh, Jim, anyway, a you know, lack of openness a few years ago when that land at Ennismore was sold. Yeah. Well, I suppose the, the point Colin was making and others are making is, is the communication process, which probably doesn't seem to be working. But, like, I, I, I live in the area and I passed there last night and I didn't I just saw the huge amount of cars and the huge of people so I didn't realise what was going on but I suppose like and it's more it has a, whole, a lot of history to it um, uh, as, as an area and it's it's a fairly large site and it's a site where I suppose the, the pity about the north side in a lot of respects Mick is that the south side of the city is well served in terms of areas where people can go walking whether it's from Moor Valley or whether it's from Blackrock Castle down to Rochestown. the north side really doesn't have anything of that you know equivalent to that and uh, what happened some years ago was that house houses were meant to be built there uh, which were meant to be private houses and then the plans got changed and the numbers of houses increased and I suppose the one concern a lot of people would have is that it's a very narrow middle Gamboy road it's a narrow road um, it's already kind of I suppose heavy with traffic particularly certain times of the day there's schools up there and Cope are up there and there's a lot of residents there and children walk up and down from Cope every day and um, do you know is, is the, 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 the middle Glanmire Road, let's say you drove up Silver Springs, turned left and left again. Yeah, that, that would bring you yeah, from Mayfield Garda Station down to the Montanati Hotel. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you go from the Montanati Hotel right up the hallway, yeah, you're going you're gonna to meet, eventually you're going to meet the road from the, the Garda Station up towards, we say, um, uh, when the old TSB bank was there, where, where, you know. So like th- that road, the traffic coming down middle Glanmire Road, very often is very heavy. The traffic coming the road, perpendicular to it is is very very heavy and then you're trying to get onto Silver Springs as well and you know I suppose the concern a lot of people would have is that you know I, I, I don't know I understand or I've heard that the, the land in, in Asmore in its entirety has been sold um, I think, so what, was there, was there the plans there for private housing and then it became sort of social yeah, housing exactly 
yeah, it became social housing and affordable housing. And you know, again, there was a lack of there was a lack of information. And I presume the council, city council, bought the land if they provided the affordable housing. Um, but it, it's I suppose the concern people would have is just the sheer volume of houses there in an area which is already under pressure. We say traffic wise, and and so very often what happens in this country is they build hundreds of houses and there is no change to the infrastructure. And that road in itself is very very narrow. So like, you know, politicians around there, Tommy Gould is on and Ken O'Flynn has been on, but do any of them have any idea what the long-term plans are for Ennismore because it's such a huge area of land, you know? So, I mean, you're looking at the possibility of hundreds of houses being built in there, which, you know, where where is it going to, where's the pressure point going to be in terms of um, getting in and out of there for, for residents there? And yeah. I mean, you know... That, that's I suppose that's the long term problem. I mean, people. I, I don't think in this country people have any difficulty with, with 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 people from other countries being housed or whatever. Because look, you know, the situation in their countries is is unfortunate. And very recently, myself, I happened to be in Duns in Balabalan, and there was a poor Ukrainian woman. She was in her late sixties, and she was holding a pair of slippers. And she just came up to this girl working at the self-service tin. She'd walked the whole length of the shop and she was pointing at a label and nobody could understand what she wanted. And I happened just, I mean, I happened to be there and I just managed to find out that she was Ukrainian. And it's only by using my phone and the translator on my phone I actually could have a conversation with the woman. You know, all she wanted to do was buy a pair of slippers and all she wanted to do was know where to go to pay for them. I mean, it's not easy for these people coming in here. But at the same time, I mean, we have a huge population of young people in this country who are probably in their 30s and will they ever be able to find, afford to buy a house in this country in, in the current state possibly not it doesn't know? look so like it there's a lot of frustration <laughs> cool. I, I, know, I know that a study was done on, on a sample fictionary couple a guard and a teacher uh, in Dublin they're yeah. 64 grand um, behind yeah. uh, being able to buy a normal three bed yeah. semi in the capital now, their, their mortgage will fall short at maximum if they save their mortgage will fall short at a mac, uh, you know their maximum mortgage will still be 64 grand off and and that's that's yeah. in, that's including the the percentage they have to save can, can I ask you Jim oh, yeah. and, and I, I'm, I'm not sure of the answer yeah. myself here uh, let's say the the expanse of land at Ennismore were to be pegged for social housing does planning permission have to be applied there um, as it would with private housing I would imagine, yeah, I would imagine they still need planning permission, but I presume, I imagine what would happen is the council would probably end up buying the land, so they probably could short-circuit some of the stuff, I don't know. Um, but they would bring in, they would, like, I think they brought in a developer to build a house as far as the city council. So um, I imagine they still would have to get planning, but look, that could probably be done internally. But the, the question, Nick, would be what volume of houses would go in there? Um, because it's such a vast amount of land. And, I mean, you're talking about putting a huge development of houses in there where there is no infrastructure. And, again, if you look down on Balavalan, there's houses being built there. And I believe there's hundreds of houses being going to be built somewhere between Balavalan and Rathcooley somewhere in the region of six or seven hundred houses. Where's the infrastructure they're going to be, despite the fact that we need houses? Um, but there's so much vacant property in this country that's not being utilised as well. Yeah, a so, lot, lot of narrow roads it, up, up that direction. And, and the North Ring Road yeah, is busy know, every day already. Uh, are, are you a re- resident thing, of the so area, like, Jim? Uh, Do you live there? Yeah, I'm, 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 li- I'm, I'm living nearby, yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've, I've lived most of my life in the north side. But, like, that's what I see is I see infrastructure. I see roads which are not probably able to cater for the current amount of traffic and now you're looking at the potential of you know a lot more pressure going on there and I suppose that's you know how, how do you how, how do they propose to deal with that side of it. Alright Jim thanks very much for your input. 
You're welcome. Thanks. Bye bye. It's 25 past 11 now. Text or WhatsApp Neil now. 0868 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Good morning for the Neil Prenderville Show at 28 and a half minutes past 11. The former Dominican Fathers Ennismore Retreat Centre in Mayfield is by departmental admission being proposed for asylum seeker and international protection applicant accommodation. Our southern correspondent with Red FM, Jamie O'Hara, uh, has not only been there but to uh, recent protests in Rosslare and Rosscray and joins us on the line. Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Mick. What's going on there? What can you tell us? Well, it's a rainy and windy day here, so not the best time to be outside. I arrived at the retreat centre in Mayfield, I suppose just after 10, and there was two men in a tent, and they agreed to speak to me about why they were there and their concerns. They had stayed there overnight in the tent just off the Midclanmire Road, and uh, they told me that they'll be there for as long as it takes. They said people had been calling to ask if they wanted food or something to drink, and two ladies turned up actually while I was there to ask the men if they needed anything. Now, it's a tiny crowd, just just two men in a tent compared to last night when up to 200 people gathered outside the centre when when the news emerged that the the centre was being considered for international protection applicants and asylum seekers. But it's similar to what we're seeing around the country um, make last Tuesday I was in Rossgray in North County Tipperary I was speaking to locals there outside Racket Hall they had raised concerns about the lack of services in the town there was probably around 40 or 50 people protesting there last Tuesday when I arrived and that was following the, the well publicised scuffle that had broken out the day before they had said that Rossgray had done its bit in terms of hosting asylum seekers and international protection applicants that there was that there was hundreds and hundreds of, of, um, of them had been housed around uh, Rossgray um, there's also a long-running protest outside Abbeville House in Formoy, and last week it emerged as well here in the city that a student accommodation complex is being considered for use as an asylum centre. No uh, concrete proposals there, just uh, just the proposal. And it comes, I suppose, at a time when the Department of Integration, they're really struggling to find accommodation for people arriving into Ireland. Now, the figures show, I was on this story last week, the figures show over 600 people are now without accommodation and uh, various refugee um, groups are saying that, you know, they're fearing that that figure will rise to 1,000 in the, in the coming weeks. They're saying that um, people who are arriving into the country and, and ending up staying on the street, um, that they're extremely vulnerable. So the, the Department of Integration will be under increasing pressure. But as for the protest in Mayfield, I suppose we're going to have to see um, what's going to happen here over the next couple of days, Mick. Yeah, it's been indicated to me that it will continue for a number of days, uh, be that big or small. I imagine you'll be uh, keeping an eye on it. Absolutely. All right. Jamie O'Hara, Southern Correspondent with uh, Good Times, Cork's Good Times, Red FM. Thank you very much this morning. We have some texts coming in. Your calls are welcome on 0818104106 or by text or WhatsApp on 0868104106. On the uh, Marcia Dalton, Ian Bailey story. Hi, Mick. If there was no evidence to proceed in a trial against Ian Bailey, then why did the DPP hand over the Garda file on the case to the French? if they were not able to extradite him because he appealed this in court. It was found that there was no evidence in which to extradite Ian Bailey. The file sent by the DPP to the French allowed a court to try Ian Bailey in absentia and find him guilty, making Ian Bailey a prisoner in his own country. This is shocking and uh, no one followed this up. Morning, that councillor should be ashamed of herself. We know Ian Bailey is innocent until proving, uh, proven guilty as a suspected murderer, but he was a violent man who subjected his partner to domestic abuse. As a victim of domestic abuse from a foreign former partner, this has touched a very sore point. 
this morning. And Frank Murphy wants to wish June Murphy. I wonder if there's any relation. Probably not. Uh, uh, anyway, June, all the best going forward from Frick. On the subject of energy, here's an interesting one. Mick, there's an advert that's playing for the Government of Ireland regarding energy efficiency. It tells us not to heat rooms that are not in use. That's all fine in an A-rated home. However, the green bright spark who came up with that advice is clearly not in the building or engineering business. When you have heat on and say, for example, one rad is off and that room is cold, then the heat is attracted to that cold room. It then condenses and goes black. It's called the dew point. You must have one level of heat throughout a home to avoid damp. The Greens are getting way past their stations. The Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael government on their own is the best way forward for Ireland in order to keep Ireland safe. The alternative, and it's looking like the alternative, will result in Ireland being like Russia. Private property being taken off you if you speak out. Political rivals being taken out, etc. Can't go on the air as I'm at work. Thank you for that text, William. On the refugee topic, why are there Ukrainian men coming here? I thought they had to stay there and fight. I know of some living in a house with good cars outside and any time you pass... The men are all drinking cans. Tommy Gould, as some snake oil salesman, says a texture Sinn Féin is all for open borders. If they get into power, they'll destroy the country. The Irish are sleeping in the streets, tents and cars. Offer them a bed in the Dominican centre and give the Ukrainians the empty tents and cars. Problem solved. Mick, I wonder if Tommy realises that Ken and his leader, Mary Lou, have so much in common because she too supported, uh, followed and was a member of Fianna Fáil, uh, who all towed their party rules. She left just like he left. Uh, that, that is correct, actually. Mary Lou MacDonald started her political career by first joining Fianna Fáil in 1998. Uh, but she left after, I think, about one year. Cork City Council officials have told untruths to councillors Ken O'Flynn and Joe Cavanagh. Ken has, been, uh, has asked reasonable questions and was told blatant lies, it seems. This is disgraceful carry-on. If they won't tell the councillors the truth, what hope does the community have in finding out what's happening? Very fair point, Michael. Thank you for that. If the government thinks it's safe to put undocumented men into a community, why not mix them into centres with Ukrainian families, says Anne. Uh, can you get laughing Michal Martin on the ear? Will he just say, have people any humanity? I think that's in reference to an interview that Neil did with him. Why can't Ukrainian people move to the west of Ukraine, which is nearly three times the size of Ireland, and they could support their own country's war effort. Huge amount of text on this topic. I did a course in that beautiful building in Mayfield a few years ago. It's a stunningly beautiful building with the most gorgeous grounds. It's a lighting disgrace to put migrants, be it documented or undocumented, into that building. Ireland is full. We are bursting at the seams. We do not have the resources for our own people, uh, not to mind them. Are people that stupid? Go up to CUH and have a look around at A&E and see the reality of our health service. Is Ireland supposed to set itself on fire to heat the world? We're a small island with limited resources and a cap should be put on all migration in in our country, no matter where they come from. Enough is enough, says Angela. They're bringing in Ukrainians to escape war and yet they allow them back home for Christmas to return back by the 3rd of January before they'd lose their benefit. Uh, Thomas Gould and Sinn Féin are jumping on the bandwagon. The whole world knows uh, knew that refugees were going in there. Asked Thomas Gould where he intends to put all the immigrants. His party is saying they're all welcome into Ireland. And Sinn Féin says, uh, says that Ireland is for all, uh, says Leslie from, Bla- uh, from Blarney. Uh, they keep saying women and children, but the dogs on the street know it's single men. Why is it always single men? Very suspicious goings on. It's like people trafficking. Tommy Gould has an open door policy. They're just like Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael. Enough is enough and we can't house and feed the world we can't take anymore. 
Uh, and one more. Hi Mick, I've always been a strong Sinn Féin supporter, but this open door policy has gone too far. The reality is that the Irish people are sick of all the Ukrainian refugees coming in and seeking aid. We've had enough and have given enough. Wake up and listen to the Irish people who are homeless and living on the breadline. There are no services for us. Never mind refugees. Back in a moment. Call Neil now. 0818 104 106. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Thanks for our phone lines and Councillor Ken O'Flynn has an update for us. Morning and welcome back, Ken. Good morning, my, uh, Mick. Uh, look, Mick, I suppose the latest update that I've received from members of the press, by the way, I'm still waiting for any reply at all from the Minister or from his office, but members of the press have confirmed to me uh, that a statement has been issued and that the uh, centre in St. Dominic's uh, will not be used for Ukrainian refugees, that they've looked at the centre and I think there's a full statement there that you have a copy of, um, but they've looked at the centre and they will not be using it for Ukrainian refugees. However, this still needs clarification, Mick, because there's different types of refugees, as we all know. So, you know, the government, the government again has been very, very clever with their words, with their replies and with their answers and queries to the media. But at the moment, the latest update is that the centre will not be used or is not usable for Ukrainian refugees. That, however, does not uh, take into account that there are other types of refugees that we're housing in the country at the moment. Um, and it, there needs to be further clarification on that. Okay, so what we have from last Friday is that you and uh, Joe Kavanagh were told absolutely no unvetted males. Now it's no Ukrainian refugees either. Yeah, uh-huh. uh-huh. but look, as I said, look, there's business people bought this centre for a reason, as they have been offering it to the department, which is quite obvious that they have, and they've been at advanced stages with it. It does appear that there, there, there is still communication and still talks going on. Um, whether we now know for a fact according to themselves, that there, it will not be going to uh, refuge, uh, the Ukrainian refugees. It has not stated the other types of refugees that are in the country. It has not stated that it's going to IPAS or, or, other, or other refugees around the country or it's going to be used as a different centre uh, for, for that use. Okay, maybe it's Palestinian so, refugees, maybe it's Syrian refugees. Possi- possi- possibly, possi- possibly it is. Perhaps it's these people that are coming in tearing their passports up. We just don't know. But this is further, you know, going on from, it's like pulling teeth now trying to get information from the minister's office. And that's what the big problem, it seems to be continuously, that we're being drift-fed information and it's wearing us all down and it's angering a lot of people in the community. That's, that's, the, honest, that's the honest truth about it. But look, Mick, thanks for all the work that you were doing on the show and your team there. They've been fantastic. And I'll keep you updated at the moment I have any more information. But we can confirm now that the department has said that they will not be using it for Ukrainian refugees, but they haven't ruled out that there won't be refugees going in there. OK, we'll, we'll have to keep following the story because we still have no clarity. Thanks a million, Ken, for yeah, all you're doing. God bless, Mick. Thank you, bye-bye. cheers. Bye-bye. That official statement's quite short. The position as of this morning is that the department received an offer of commercial accommodation for beneficiaries of temporary protection, those fleeing the war in Ukraine, in relation to the property identified, following a full review, taking into account the needs across our overall accommodation portfolio. This offer is not being progressed. We'll keep following the story uh, for all those interested until it comes to uh, its conclusion. Whether that brings a happy ending or not, uh, I can't say. Now, uh, to a different topic and raising children, or raising Irish children more particularly, abroad. They made me reevaluate my own attitude to Ireland. How do you raise Irish children abroad? I'm just going to preface this interview with uh, a little 
uh, of the story uh, coming from the pen of uh, my next guest. Uh, and that's this. Even though I've, I'd lived in Belgium since leaving Cork in 2009, it was not a question I ever gave much uh, thought to when either of my half-Irish daughters arrived, Noah in 2014, and uh, Zoe two years later. I happily sorted out their Belgian birth certificates, but didn't get them Irish passports. And our trip, our trips to Ireland were sporadic, exhausted affairs, where the only purpose was to demonstrate proof of life to grandparents and great-grandparents. I didn't think of their Irishness because I didn't think of my own. Good morning, Owen Walsh. How are you getting on? I'm good. Uh, Why did you leave Ireland in 2009? By all accounts, you were happy to see the back of the place. (laughs) Yeah, well, there was, I suppose, a confluence of events. Um, You know, you think back to 2009, that was the middle of the the, the crash. Uh, I'd finished university um, not long previously, so I was looking to move abroad, I think, anyway. And then personal matters meant that it was a little bit more favourable. I was always kind of attracted to living on the continent. I'd done some study abroad when I was at university and uh, moving away to Brussels, which is where eventually I ended up, um, seemed like a logical conclusion, especially after what I'd studied at university. And do you think, yeah, do you think it's was, a decision yeah. that should be made early in life? Um, it's a good question. I was, I mean, early. How old was I when I left in 2009? I was 19 or 20. <laughs> so, but, but I think I was always, I think I'd always sort of, been attracted to living abroad um, having grown up in Cargilline and then gone to university in Limerick I suppose I was probably just gradually stepwise leaving home always a little bit and then the, the next step was moving to, to Belgium. Okay there's a very um, there's, there's a little paragraph uh, in, in, in the bio or the, the story of your story if you like uh, which yeah. really, really made me smile growing up in suburban Cork in the 1990s what seemed Irish to me the GEA Holy Communion and Glenrow wasn't what I was. I was a child from divorced parents, an atheist dad who played hockey with his Protestant school friends and didn't know who Miley Byrne was. Yeah, it's all true. I mean, I don't know if people growing up in Cargline at the time might remember, but we used to watch South Coast Community TV back in those days. So we would get the we would get the, the BBC on a live, you know, stream or feed as it was back then. You know, watching whatever was on TV then on a Sunday evening, Balikas Angel or EastEnders, Carnation Street. And uh, I went to school in St. Luke's in Douglas, uh, which is non-denominational but Protestant. And all of my all of my friends at home in Cargilline went to the local national school. So it was always a slightly different upbringing to, I think, um, what my friends would have had at the time when, on the street that we lived in in Cargilline. Okay, and did it make you resent Ireland or just get fed up of it or yearn for somewhere else? Oh. I think it made me yearn for somewhere else. Um, And I think probably what I found, and I think a little bit of what the article I wrote for the Times yesterday was about, was that maybe I needed a little bit of distance, both geographically and sort of time-wise, to kind of take a look at the things that when you're a teenager, and I mentioned it in the article, you know, a, a scowly, grumpy teenager who resents whatever they can resent and for me I think that was probably some some of the traditional Irish stereotypes it took a little bit of distance maybe and also being a dad myself to kind of have an opportunity to reevaluate those stereotypes and reevaluate my attitude to you know Irishness in inverted commas if you want to put it like that and I think having had the kids I've been able to do that okay let's look back to your your psyche your 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 mental condition if you like the, you know the thoughts that made you want to leave because I think they'll resonate pretty much with uh, many of our younger listeners today who may be considering the option of a shorter, longer uh, hiatus from Ireland. 
Um, in in that sense, what, was it that you felt you had to find some self-determination, some self-definition away from here? I think that's probably true, yeah. I mean, you get a little bit of that when you leave secondary school and you go into university. You know, you get to explore new opportunities, try out different things. And I think moving abroad is another opportunity on top of that to kind of see who you are, separate yourself from you know, your background maybe a little bit, you know, when you go move on the continent, it doesn't really, you know, your accent doesn't say anything where you're from doesn't really signify anything. And I know a lot of Irish people when we move abroad, it's very easy to find other people who know who you are because Ireland is such a small place. And my wife constantly reminds me of that a little bit. Um, But it does give you an opportunity to, as you said, self-determination, make your own way a little bit. Um, And back in 2009 as well, like the prospects were pretty grim, if anybody remembers, you know, and a lot of my friends at that time would have moved to Australia. Some of them moved to Canada. For me, it was just because my wife, well, she was my girlfriend at the time, was Belgian. It made sense to move a little bit, not so far away. Yeah, I, I remember the heart-rending exodus uh, of what um, Mary Robinson called the Irish diaspora uh, going through the recession in the 80s. There were a lot of tears shed at airports and and uh, going onto ships, etc., it didn't seem yep. to be that bad because of um, probably improving travel infrastructure back in 2008 and 2009. And now it seems it's, uh, should we have FaceTime and we have, you know, we can get home cheaply and um, we're going to have a better life or something like that. It, it seems to be diminishing in its effect on families. Uh, it almost seems like a foregone conclusion that at least one sibling will leave at least. Yeah, I think so. I mean, that's always been the case in Ireland, hasn't it? The, the the option of, and I think that's something that's maybe interesting when I see that from my from my Belgian family. The the idea of moving abroad to make your way or go away for a decade or more to work and then come back it doesn't really exist. Belgians are quite homey people, and it's always interesting as an Irish person that you know it's understood. You might leave and that's okay, and you might come back. That's also okay. You might stay away. That's fine too. Okay, I, I want to get to the raising the kids, which is why we're, we're, we're talking. But yeah. there's, there, there's one very interesting other uh, piece of your article. Um, uh, the indifference towards Ireland with you reached its peak, because some people go away and they love Ireland to the day, the day they die. And I'm not saying you don't, uh, but it was when you watched Belgium beat Ireland in a Euro 2016 match in Bordeaux, sitting with Belgian fans in a Belgian journey. How, how did the kids then, know we being two by then, two years of age, how did the kids alter your association with Ireland? Um, well, I think as I started, as they started to get a bit older and I would start to read to them like proper stories when they're two, three, four, um, I started to remember the, the books and the stories that we would have read when we were kids growing up in the 90s. And also the fact that Belgium, it doesn't really have like a myths and legends tradition or industry that we would have in Ireland. So when I was attracted the reading things to the children it was always like the old Irish stories or books about Ireland and that was sort of a non-confrontational easy enough way to you know introduce them to, for, for children who for Ireland is an extremely abstract concept like they knew their dad was Irish but they didn't really know what it was they'd visited once or twice when they were really small so they didn't really have a memory but being able to read to them stories like about Cucullin and the Fianna and Tiernan Og, you know that was this sort of very beginner's guide to what Ireland is and what it might be. And then the older they got, the stories got more interesting. We got to visit and then they were able to sort of make a connection between the two. Like the things Mm -hmm. we talked about are also places that actually exist and we could go visit and they could understand a little bit more about where I came from. You kind of of did the full boomerang, maybe not in your 
choice of uh, where you're going to be domiciled, but you're suddenly putting on Christy Moore albums and listening to Smoke and Strong Whiskey and doing uh, teaching the kids to count to fair in Ireland, yeah. in Irish. I think a lot of that came from during the pandemic as well. So, because they, they would have been at home, like a lot of Irish kids, schools were closed here in 2020 and 21. Um, we didn't have a lot to do. They were getting of an age where they were getting more curious about my background and asking why I spoke English because I came from Ireland. Shouldn't I speak Irish? So I started, you know, teaching them a little bit about how to count. We put on some Irish music. And then when when, when lockdowns were finished, we were able to travel again. We were able to go to Ireland and visit my visit their grandfather, my dad, and, you know, have a have a look at the places about stories that we'd read in Dublin and in Cork and in, and in Kerry, which was really nice. You seem to be an avid reader, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. And they've helped also me to start thinking about like reading Irish books, contemporary Irish fiction or non-fiction stories about Ireland for grown-ups, obviously not for children. And it's been it's 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 a really nice way of keeping in touch with the country, which changes a lot when you leave. Like I've been I've been away for fifteen years now. Ireland is in the same place it was when I left, mm-hmm. and to kind of get a sense about what the place is like in twenty twenty three or twenty four. You know, I always find books and obviously listening to the radio too, reading the newspaper helps as well. But to get a sense of what's happening and what the state of the place is like. I always find books are the easiest way. Yeah, and Lisa McInerney, of course, uh, bringing you back to your native Cork, Rowan, yeah, Hessians, yeah, yeah. Dublin, and then you discovered Northern Ireland as well. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's a if that's a Cork thing, but it's just geographically, I think it's so far away. I think when I was a child, and also with the troubles in the early 90s, it was a bit more difficult to travel. I think I'd only been to Belfast and Derry maybe once before I left Ireland. And then after I left, obviously, the opportunities to travel there we're, we're basically zero and it's been nice it's a nice way of discovering different parts of the country different mindsets um, new writers there different language it's funny my, my wife is a big fan of Lisa McInerney too she reads her in English and she'd be reading in the bed next to me and be asking me you know what does this word mean or am I pronouncing this right because of all the cork slang in it so I was able to you know dip back into my own uh, my own you know teenage years to translate for her are you glad you made the decision to move now that you have that newfound Irishness, albeit fostered and, and living it through the kids? Um, absolutely, yeah. I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't exchange Brussels for anywhere at the moment, you know. Um, it's a really lovely place to live. I know lots of Irish people live here. Um, I've been lucky to live here. The kids are very happy. You know, I always joke with them sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're older, you know, if you want, you can always go to university in Ireland. You know, you, you'll, you'll speak English, you'll be fine, you can go there. Um, and the connection is always there. And as you said, travel is much easier now to get back. Like I'm, I'm going back next week to, to watch the Munster game in, uh, in, in Parky Creeve. So I'll be looking forward to getting back, uh, talking to the friends and, and, and seeing the sights again. How, how would you feel if one of your daughters moved back to Ireland in the fullness of time? I think I'd be very curious to see what their reaction to the place would be because they know it only through me and I think for them to be able to experience it firsthand would be really interesting. I, I think it would be great, but, you know, who knows, 10 years' time. Yeah. Uh, Ireland, you can't leave a place like that. It's always with you. That's from Anne Enright's latest novel from a long-term Irish emigre. Ireland, always with you? Um, yeah, I think so, uh, for better or worse. <laughs> great, great to talk to you. Th- thanks a million. Owen, Owen you can check that out in the Irish Times online. Lovely article. Thank you very much about educating children abroad. Now then, to line two and to George Jeffrey Jr. Good morning, George. Good morning. First of all, uh, you? sympathies on the passing of your mum, Kitty. Thank you very much. Um, she, she, had, she had, as they say, a good innings. 
she had a very good innings right up till you know the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, she, she was um, going down a bit, and um, I'd just like to take this opportunity. This this the last week, I think that she really went down, and I'd like to take this opportunity first of all to thank you and other members of the press for the sensitivity in which you covered the event. But most most importantly, as well as that, is the emergency services who came within ten minutes. I was making the call and the CUH doctors above people give out about the health services we found them to be excellent not only to looking after our mother in our final days but also looking after us as well and the public health court nurses and the carers and all that you know we have a good health service but I wish the goodness people would, would stop being so negative it's, it's it's an amazing health service once you can get in the door I think getting in the door and the volume that's allowed to get through the door uh, because the capacity is the problem anyway we, we're talking about your mum there's worse, worse ways to go, uh, to go than be surrounded uh, by a lot of your loving family isn't there? That's right yes uh, my sister was with her and she just passed away peacefully uh, we knew that the end was near but uh, she, she passed she had a lovely death very peaceful all together and so we're very grateful for that. Okay, she grew up in North Cork in the village of Glenville, between Fermoy and the city. She relocated to Middleton after meeting uh, her farmer husband, George. Uh, your dad, born Kitty Clancy. Uh, it's amazing to read this, actually. Born Kitty Clancy on November the 12th, 1914, just three months after the outbreak of World War One, and in her 110th year when she passed. That's right. Um, just so you notice, you mentioned the Clancy name, because the following morning, we happened to get a card from her distant relatives in Kilfinnan in County Limerick. And they attended the funeral, and they, they, they told us who they were. And they are actually living in the old Clancy homestead. So, needless to say, we invited ourselves up anyway to see so we're going up there in a couple of months' time. So that is a new connection, which we never had up until now. So we know the Mills, we know the Jeffreys, but the, the Clancy lineage was a bit a bit vague. That's a, most of them emigrated to Australia, you see. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting how we came across that. But it's funny, actually, that that, that car came the following morning. She, you know, so that, that was good. All right. It's, it's, it's sad in a bittersweet way. The end has to come, but she, as, as I said, had a very good innings. Ireland's oldest woman. Indeed, yeah. Uh, Kitty exactly. Jeffrey. I'm as old as person. I, o- o- oldest person? That's true. <laughs> Forgive me. Th- thanks a million. You're all right. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now, bye-bye now. Jo- now, Joe Cavanagh, to be fair to him, has been trying to get on the air. We didn't have time to put him on. I've got something short here. We will come back to him uh, in the morning. Uh, the facts are, he said, the owners of Ennismore made an application eight months ago on the platform to house Ukrainians independent of Cork City Council. As we know, uh, that now has, is not going to happen. Uh, the original rumour that there was a proposal to facilitate 80 or 100 unvetted males arriving in the building was absolutely without foundation. So Joe, to be fair to him, has tried to come back to us with the facts he's been working to get all morning and we will talk to him in the morning. My thanks to Neil's production team. We're back tomorrow morning after nine. The Neil Prendival Show on Red FM. Conversation that matters.